0: Jake, get all this out of the way right now, right? You are correct.
1: It is a soggy start to this Tuesday morning as the track, I guess, technically, what, the second time this year they'll get on the Oval. First time in May. Uh, we're on the Oval. They're in kind of late April for an early <laughs> testing session. Technically, today, though, the first official day of Indy 500 practice practice
0: is scheduled
1: Emphasis on scheduled to begin at 9 a.m. But I
0: don't think, Kevin, that it is as bad as it was like three days ago. It was like, oh yeah, it's probably going to be a total wash. And I think now it looks like there are going to be some pretty decent windows to get stuff in today. Am I totally hallucinating? I, I
1: checked the radar. Uh, walking out the door, it didn't look great, but it, you know, maybe this afternoon. I mean, they're scheduled to be on track till what six o'clock. So obviously, you got a long time. Uh, Nine o'clock, the veterans supposed to get out there today. Uh, speaking of veterans. Um, there's probably, outside of Elio Castroneves, um, no one defines that more in the field this year than Tony Canon. He's going to join us right out of the gate here. 7.15 this morning, Tony Canon and what is his last Indy 500 until he wins, right? And then he comes back?
0: Exactly. That's one of the <laughs> things I want to ask him, actually, is, you know, listen... He, he's going to run up front. I, I mean, I'm telling you, unless you, you never know. I mean, there's always like weird mechanical gremlins that can pop up. Oh, he got third last year. But yeah, I mean, he, he has a chance to really be, you know, his 22nd Indy 500. And he's got a chance to be very competitive. So we'll see how much that kind of keeps the juices going for him, right?
1: Uh, we were watching last night the 100 Days to Indy. And Maddie really enjoyed the uh, segment they did with Pato Ward going to Tony Kanaan's house. And I think at one point, Pato says to Tony Kanaan, you've been driving in the series longer than I've been alive. And that pretty much sums up the longevity that Tony Canon has had in his career and is now a teammate of, of Pato Ward coming up, um, I guess, starting in earnest this week. So we'll continue to keep you monitored on today's schedule over at IMS. Again, supposed to be 9 o'clock to get out there. Um, Jake... Remind us again, nine to 11, the vets, the rookies, which I guess is just one rookie from one to three, and yeah, then uh, everybody actually, together. You're,
0: you're correct, because R.C. Enerson, um, I don't R.C. Enerson's deal, I believe, was announced after, because when they had the test earlier at the end of April, they did rookie orientation and the refresher course for veterans, and I think everybody went through that already, um, so that would that would mean that they would not you know they would not have to be going through that today but today from 9 to 11:15 it's the uh, all the veterans are practicing today from 9 until 11:15 then from 1 until 3 it's rookie orientation and refresher for those veterans that need and I don't know once they go we can ask Kanan this once they go through the refresher course do they still have access during that 2 hours i believe they do but then 3 to 6 is the big thing 3 to 6 is what we call the all skate everybody's out there so, all 34 cars, if they want, can go out and take to the track from 3 until 6 today.
1: And 3 to 6 becomes noon to 6 the rest of the week. So, noon to 6, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, obviously leading into Quals, 13 to 30. Those will be the spots settled on Saturday, and we'll do a fast 12 on Sunday and bump one car. A good Tuesday morning to you. A kind of a similar start to yesterday and how it looks and certainly how the ground is from a wetness standpoint. Again, some rain in the forecast. We'll see how much of that we can dodge here throughout the morning. Does look like supposed to clear up later this afternoon and certainly the next couple of days looks really promising for those um, heading out to IMS. Tony Canon right here out of the gate and I guess it is Mark, are you eating uh, Tony the Tiger this morning? It's kind of a Tony theme. I should have for this here. At Tony East at 9 o'clock, as in 13 hours, I don't think it's hyperbole to say, at least for the next few months and potentially years, one NBA franchise will have their
0: whole tra- tra- trajectory change. It does appear as though, listen, I haven't sat there and watched a ton of Victor Webb and Yama. But the videos that I've seen of him, he absolutely looks like a guy that is a generational level talent. He's seven foot, what, five, I guess. He can put the ball on the floor. He can shoot from the outside. Um, he's got good agility. But, Kevin, there have been players in the past that also appeared to be completely groundbreaking, like, holy cow. This is going to turn the league upside down, and then injuries do the men. I mean, Yao Ming is one of them, and I realize Yao Ming was more of a true down low. But this this guy is not. I mean, Yao was a down low, rooted in the post level player. Webber well, Yama's not. He is more, far more. He's a seven foot five Durant to an extent, but still, whoever gets him, yes, it is going to more likely than not change the trajectory of their franchise and he is going to be the number one player picked in the draft
1: eight o'clock tonight leading into game one between the Nuggets and the Lakers I am a little surprised to see how big the favorite is for the Denver Nuggets tonight they are a six and a half point favorite in game one of course that is in Denver Jamal Murray I saw questionable uh with an illness so something certainly to keep an eye on, you know, when you talk about the lottery, obviously Web and Yama and you know, the hope and the prayer and break out the rosary beads, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, to try and get the number one pick. It's been well documented over the past few months. You know, the Pacers walk into tonight, seventh in the lottery odds. Again, it's just under a seven percent chance at number one. Jake, it's it's 29% chance at a top four pick. I mean that's I mean, three and ten? Yeah. I mean those are decent odds and it you was know, something that we talked about a little bit yesterday. We'll certainly touch on with Tony East coming up at nine o'clock. This year, or I should say last year at this time, the thought was you're gonna spend this lottery pick on a young player to hopefully will be the Batman or the or the Robin to the Batman of Tyrese Halliburton moving forward. Now it's like, yeah, you could certainly draft a young player and continue to kind of build this core in a similar age group. But based on Kevin Pritchard's comments, they are very open-minded to potentially dangling that pick for some veterans. And we'll see exactly you know, who that might be and how the next month or so will unfold because the draft is until late June. But if you get a top-four pick, the attractive nature that pick would have for other teams could open the door to a few more. You know, Go back to the uh, Sabonis trade for Halliburton. You don't make that trade if it's Miles Turner. Sacramento's not doing that, but they did it because Sabonis was thrown in there. That's kind of what I'm getting at with this fourth or third pick, potentially. Teams might not say, hey, that guy's untouchable if you have the seventh or eighth pick. Then you throw the third or the fourth at him, they might say, oh, okay, now we can talk a little bit more. So that will be a huge part of what tonight is about. Um, Again, the Pacers know their late first-round picks. That early second-rounder, though, um, will get decided tonight. Um, basically you want to cheer for the San Antonio Spurs to be higher in the lottery than the Rockets. That means the reverse of it would happen in the second round, and the Pacers would get the Rockets' uh, early second-round pick, which could be number 32.
0: By the way, one question I'd had about this, and Scott Agnes clarified this for me this morning, and I appreciate it. As the as they pull the ping-pong balls out, if they pull out, let's say, uh, give, you know, Detroit, if Detroit's ping-pong ball pops up and they pull out Detroit and they set it aside, th- it, this is done with replacement. So, in other words, the odds never change. If they just continue, if they right. pull out Detroit 13 straight times, they just keep drawing until they get another team. They do not They do not remove all of Detroit's ping-pong balls once Detroit's elected.
1: Tony, yeah, Tony can double-check this with us coming up at 9, Jake, but if, if I'm not mistaken, the Pacers have, there's a 1,001 combinations. In the lottery machine, and the Pacers have 68 of them. And to your point, whichever team gets pulled out first, boom, they go back in there. And again, you only do it for the first four picks. Then it goes in reverse order right. based off your record last year. So that's why the Pacers cannot draft fifth or sixth. Tonight, it'll either be one, two, three, four. Basically, all those percentages are right around six to seven to eight percent. Most likely, they're in that seven, eight, nine range. Uh, But still, certainly a chance to climb into the top
0: four. Uh, Got this text. Hey, Jake, morning. Heard you on with JMV yesterday. I think many are getting ahead of themselves and anointing Halliburton. I love the kid, appreciate his game, but has he played a single meaningful game in his career? I don't think so. Not in Sacramento, not here. Until we see him in the playoffs where the opponents care about defense, game plans, and or adjust every game to take away strengths and highlight weaknesses, we really don't have any idea how he is as a player. That applies to this entire Pacers squad. Again, love the kid, but it's too early to make definitive long-term assumptions on him. Uh, It may be true, but every player in the NBA at some point goes into the playoffs for the very first time, and you can tell by the body of work before that moment whether or not their game and the regular season gives you reason to believe the footprint is there or it isn't and in his case the footprint appears to be there
1: yeah i mean if you want to call the nba whatever is there six tiers of players eight tiers of players he's in one of the top tiers and obviously his play in the playoffs um potentially next year will try and gauge if he ascends to another tier but without question he is an all-star talent uh tony Cannon going to join us here in a few minutes Um, Jake, the entry list came out yesterday for the Indianapolis 500. 34 cars, as you mentioned. uh, Nine former champions, four rookies, uh, 13 different countries
0: represented. That's one of my favorite stats during the course of the race, by the way. Like, I'm always like, you know, there have been nine countries that have led this race.
1: Yeah. Again, you and I kind of side with a little bit of a geographical background. Um, Some names that are not on the list, though, that I think might surprise some people, or at least people that have frequently raced. Um, No Jimmy Johnson. Correct. From last year. Uh, No J.R. Hildebrand, who's typically been kind of a frequent racer. And the other name, and we've had him on before, uh, Sage Karam.
0: Yeah, Karam, uh, Sage Karam is, you know, basically running stock cars and it's kind of made that conversion. And I think what's interesting is, and this is a... This has nothing to do with anything because these two gentlemen are gentlemen to one another and friends and colleagues. I mean, this is strictly coincidence. But Sage Karam, of course, uh, you know, we have talked about, it's been very documented, Kevin, that Sage Karam's career, which was a promising rising career when he was leading the race in Pocono and had a crash where the debris from his car is what led to the crash that fatally injured Justin Wilson. Justin Wilson's brother, Stefan Wilson, is driving this year for Dryer and Reinbold in the seat that presumably would have been Sage Karam's. Coincidentally enough, or ironically, if you want to look at it that way, but yeah. but that team, uh, Dennis Reinbold's been very loyal to Sage Karam, but I, I just think they couldn't work it out because Karam was still doing the NASCAR stuff. Yeah. Um, th- you know Stephen Wilson had some sponsorship money that that he was able to kind of combine two teams together uh, and a great opportunity for Steph Wilson, who was really good in the test and was very fast. so that team showed some promise and then they pick up for the second car Ryan Hunter Ray, who, you know, if that team's got speed, we certainly know Ryan Hunter Ray knows his way around.
1: Yeah, Hunter Ray typically, you know, with Andretti, so he slides over to a team that's had really nice five hundred success, even though I don't think Ryan Ramble maybe to the common fan as a household name. Jake, and then correct me if I'm wrong here, Juan Pablo Montoya not in this year's five hundred, is that the car that Tony Canon is in now?
0: I mean, wasn't Juan Pablo kind of the one off yeah. for Arrow last and year? And it's probably the seat presumably Kanan is in the seat keeping it warm for Alex Pillow next year. So transitioning from one to the next. and
1: Pillow would obviously do a full schedule.
0: Correct, for Aero McLaren if he jumps over from Ganassi. Uh, but that's correct. That that car... And and again, Montoya was competitive last year and there's no reason to believe Kanan won't be this year.
1: I was watching... Um, gosh, where... where just looked up yesterday and on nbc it's probably like three o'clock in the afternoon and all of a sudden on nbc i see the dude from saved by the bell having a talk show
0: mario lopez oh yeah ac slater yeah
1: yeah i I have no idea what the show is uh at all and next thing you know i see like a glass of milk for the indy 500 Catherine leg was on there is that right Catherine leg the only woman in this year's field was on there um jake a little bit of background on her if you will she has raced in the 500 before and she'll be with ray hall letterman
0: that is correct both those things are correct she's british obviously Um, she was outstanding by the way on the uh, on the segment great personality no doubt about it um katherine leg has run like in different sports cars she ran the race in 2012 for dragon racing uh ran it again in 2013 for schmidt peterson so uh you know pretty diverse background in terms of motorsports well respected for certain been a long time since she's been in it but um Part of that, the marketing of it has to do with it as well, and good for her. I think it's Entertainment Tonight is what she was on.
1: Yeah, something like Access Daily or
0: something like that.
1: Okay, let's head to the Payless Slickers hotline, and I guess...
0: Oh, Mark, yeah, you got a little intro for him. Eddie Sachs, Lloyd Ruby, Rex Mays, who's the hard-luck guy of your generation? Right now for this one, it's Tony Kanon, and that's why he's got the fans at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway cheering him on. No one's sitting down. Everyone's up on their feet watching Ryan hunter Ray, Tony Kanon, and Carlos Munoz separate themselves a bit. They go one, two, three for the north end. I'm telling you what, that was Tony Kanon, and it is often said... That when Tony Kanan would take the lead in the Indianapolis 500, there is, and I've said it before, the loudest roars I've, I've heard out there in doing the race, and I've been doing them since, 20, since 2007, in my head since the loudest roars I hear, is when Tony Kanaan takes the lead at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, getting set to try to qualify for his 22nd Indianapolis 500, and probably has been up since 5 o'clock this morning and already run nine miles. <laughs> Tony, good morning to you uh you you correct good morning <laughs> <laughs> what time did you get up this morning
2: uh 4 45 and i was on my bike at on a stationary bike because it's raining uh at 5 a.m i usually this month i know you guys probably know this but we uh we ride uh at the track they let us doug bowls let us ride at the speedway so but today it was it was a wash and by that you mean you riding your bike around the oval Yes, in the morning, yeah. So, which is funny, right? Because we're doing, what, 22 miles an hour in the morning and then 230 in the afternoon. So, it's quite cool.
0: <laughs> okay, here's oh, <laughs> here's the dumbest question of all time, Tony. When you ride your bike around that track, can you learn anything about it? I mean, you've obviously turned millions well, of laps out there. Yeah, you
2: know, it's like, actually, that's not a stupid question because I have to say that's, you know, uh, on the road courses... And some of the ovals, we do track walks because what happens is year after year, something will change. A bump will be there because of weather. Somebody made a, a repair on the asphalt. So it, I actually do. To be honest, uh, there are a couple of things, especially during the week that, you know, before we first run, um, I can see, oh, that, that that is a bump in turn three that has been there for decades, and is it still there? And then you find like some cracks that you're like, "Oh my gosh, I could feel that maybe if you know." So yes, definitely, I do definitely learn a little bit. I'm not saying you know it's essential will be crucial to uh, to do it, but uh, you know, as I'm there, i obviously uh, I try to learn something.
1: Tony, um, if you finished third last year, um, I, I think it kind of gets lost a little bit. In the shuffle, I mean, certainly Marcus Erickson, Pato Ward were, you know, right there back and forth. If that race would have gone maybe another lap, you definitely would have been in the mix. Um, if you had finished 20th last year, would you be here for one more run?
2: Well, here's the thing, right? What people don't realize is I think, uh, to answer your question, I don't think so, but it's not because of me only. I was fine, you know, once I hop out of that car um, last year that, you know, I already had announced my retirement three years, two years prior to that. Um, and then Jimmy Johnson came with, you know, the uh, the invitation, but I think I wouldn't have read the ride. And, and, you know, obviously it was such a good run. And, you know, you're only as good as your last race. And I think people uh, realize, no, you know, Zach realized, hold on, we have a shot here. I mean, if you think about it, McLaren this year, we have second, third, fourth, and fifth-place finish, fifth finish drivers racing for his team, you know, from last year's results. So, but to answer your question, I don't think so, but not because of me. It was because of, you know, I probably wouldn't get a ride that I wanted. And I don't want to be in the grid with a, a team that is, I'm not saying not going to have a chance, but you guys know what I mean. It's like sure. with a, a smaller team just to be a number. I mean, that I've done that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've never done that, and then I never will. So, yeah. Sorry if you guys hear me. I'm driving my McLaren to the track, so if it's noisy, it's, <laughs> I'm in the car.
0: That's the beauty of the McLaren. It's not, right? That thing's just smooth as can be, Tony. That's that's probably why you're in one, right? Um, right. Hey, let me ask you this. So, to, to, to ask the obvious here, and maybe up front as opposed to at the end of the interview, but so let's say you do run really strong, and I think mm-hmm. that there is the you know it is presumed that the ride that you currently have for arrow mclaren maybe you're keeping that seat warm for somebody next year that we thought might be in it this year but that didn't happen if that doesn't come to fruition as well and you run again in the top three and you think about the fact that like you know i i think it was your dad that said to you once like keep racing you know like 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 keep pursuing does your dad's voice come back to you and say tony keep going
2: um, I mean, that's the question that everybody's asking, right? And, and then actually half of the grid of my friends there as a driver, all the drivers say, Oh, you're coming back. But right now I'm in peace with my decision. And then somebody says, well, what about if you win? I mean, it's obvious that we announced Kyle Larson, uh, in the car that I'm driving this year, next year, that's official. So um, I have a relationship with the team that is going to go beyond this 500. So I find it really hard because if it's not with McLaren, I'm not going to be able to do it anyway. So I would say even if I win, it'll be nice to grab the mic and drop it right there on the podium mm-hmm. and um, you know and just. Uh, I- I'm really looking forward to the next chapter of, of my career, which is I'll still be involved in racing. And, and guys, don't don't take. Don't take me wrong. I'm not retiring. I'm retiring from IndyCar. You guys know I still do a lot of uh, the SRX races with Tony Stewart. I'm still doing the stock car in Brazil. So that's 12 races a year that I go down there. Uh, I'm not just – people have this perception that on May 29th, I'm going to be in the beach drinking margarita, and then that's it. And I'm still coming to a lot of the IndyCar races with Aero McLaren. So it's uh, it's not a greedy really a retirement.
0: Which of those drivers? Tony Kanon is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. If you're going to be a driving coach, if you're going to be a mentor next year, you know you've got Pada Award, Felix Rosenquist, Alexander Rossi is now with that team. Uh, the chance Pello is going to be there. Kyle Larson, as you mentioned. Which of those drivers do you most see a young Tony Canaan in? Uh,
2: well, Rossi is very mature already, so I can't really say that. Um, I would say. The closest will be Pato right now as a full-time. Uh, Kyle Larson was my teammate in Daytona when we won the 24 Hours, uh, but I haven't really spent much time. But Pato definitely, in, in every way, I mean, I, I, I see how young he is. He talks about, man, I want to buy this car. You know, the typical things that, that I've done with Dan Weldon my entire life. I mean, we, we bought hot cars. We, we went on vacations uh, consist, constantly on the weekends off uh on a boat and then he's doing all that and the driving i mean the the talent that this kid has it's it's unbelievable so i would i would say pato um for sure alex uh rossi is very mature palu i was my teammate it's it's another maturity level uh in my opinion so i mean i'll pick i'll pick the 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 duck as we call him you know if you guys don't know but pato in spanish and portuguese means duck (laughs)
0: <laughs> really well, he's like a duck to water when it comes to getting in a race car. There's no doubt about that. <laughs>
1: for sure, <laughs> Tony. I I, I
0: want to stay there for just a second.
1: Last night, my wife and I were watching the Hundred Days to Indy, and you know, you you walk on Pato over to your house. Uh, I don't know when that was taped. I assume some point earlier this year, and it was it was a really cool segment. Um, and, and at one point, you said something to the effect of. You know his pure raw talent is really you know right up there with anybody in the series and and maybe kind of 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 all time. So when you see Pato's pure raw talent, what exactly do you mean by that? Like what is it from a gift standpoint that he has?
2: Um, he is able to fix some of uh, the deficiencies of a race car with his talent, which is really good, but could be really bad. It could be his worst enemy because sometimes the car is not good enough and he will still make it fast, which, you know, it's it's a really rare talent to have. But then sometimes you're making, you know, the engineer's life a little bit easier because you're covering with your talent, but the car is not really that good. So you need to push the team to it. What I'm saying basically is you give you give this kid a car with three wheels, he will still be able to drive fast and and i've seen throughout my career just a few few guys like that and and, and basically that's what i mean i mean you just say part here this is the car we can't touch the car he will figure out a way to go fast regardless of how good or bad the setup is tony
0: I- tony Kanaan is our guest i i know that we have talked about this before but for those listening who have not heard you explain this i wanted to revisit it you're a fascinating case to me, Tony Canan, because, you know, I recall the first year that you ran here, driving from Monon, and I think the storyline about you at that time was the fact that you hadn't changed your underwear in like two months because it was bad luck or something like that. Like we we didn't know as much about Tony Kanan, right? And then it's like people in the Coke line. <laughs> that's right. As the years went by, you just became really the people's champion and, and, and everybody in that place before you moved here, you're living in Miami, you're a native of Brazil, and yet there was this warmth about the fact that Tony Cannon represented like three hundred thousand people that all had dreams of what that place meant to them. And you just embodied that. What is it about the city of Indianapolis where you now live, where you drive every day to the speedway, you know, on on the near west side of Indianapolis? Was there a definitive moment where you realized, this is now home to me? My mom might be in Brazil, my family's in Brazil, but this is my home.
2: I mean, guys, look, um, this place made me. This this place made Tony out, right? I mean, if you guys go to the trek, you just said it. Uh, but then, let's think about this. I met my wife here. My wife is from here, so my immediate family not on my you know on my side but on my wife's side they all live here so it was just like it, it was a perfect combination of everything this is a better city to to raise my kids than miami i mean people here are have all the principles that i believe i want my kids to have references growing up you know people are polite uh, completely different than miami is more of an international city than anything else um the the way the city makes me feel. I mean, it's just it was a it was a no brainer, really. I mean, Laurie and I uh, met here exactly this month, 16 years ago, and, and and we've been together ever since. We have four kids, and 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 I mean, it, it, it all makes it all made sense, and, and I love this place. I mean, if you talk to me in January, I might not too big of a fan of the winter, but that's, that's it's just part of it you know but I love the city I mean I think I I really don't know the answer why they embrace me so well but I I love it and then I try to give it back to the city to the fans every day pretty much I mean uh, there is not a single day here that they don't make me feel good they don't make me feel wanted they don't make me feel that they appreciate what I've done for the Speedway and and for them so uh, it's a pretty good feeling
0: the relationship that you have shared over the course of your, I guess from boyhood to now, both in and out of a race car, with Elio Castroneves, Tony, I believe has had ebb and flow. I mean, at times maybe it's been warmer than others. It's always been competitive. Yeah. Um, as the two of you both start to enter the or are in the twilight of your respective careers, do you keep an eye on what Elio is doing, and if he, like in other words, will will his decision to continue to race be based upon whether or not you are, and vice versa? Do you guys discuss those things?
2: Uh, we talk about it a lot. I mean, we're, I mean, we were really close when we we're young, and we we went a couple of years that we didn't even speak, and now we're the closest ever. I mean, you're talking about a forty years of friendship and competitiveness, but. No I mean I, like he's like, are you crazy? why are you retire you know I mean I'm still I mean he's still gonna go try to go for five as long as they give him a car and I think he should i I have different goals right now I think um, I'm okay with 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 my decision um but yeah, we do talk I mean we are reference references for each other, but it, it, we we talk about different businesses we're talking about what can we do together in the future we even talk about, hey, should we maybe think about in the future owning a team together and Canan Castro Neves racing? I mean, there's plenty of plans. None of them are official or even close because we're still quite busy doing stuff, but like you never know. But no, I think Alio is going to try to go for five, you know, for as many, as many years as people will give it to him. It will be, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's going to come back next year and then and if somebody gives him a car the year after that he, he he will until I don't see Elio actually doing what I did and say hey uh this is it for me I think I just gonna say bye and you know like well I keep you know that's it I, I couldn't find a ride and I'm not racing but uh, yeah we we actually talk quite a bit
1: the one and only Tony Kanaan, he is with us right now en route to the track. Mother Nature hopefully will co- cooperate and the drivers can get out there. But I guess the first official practice day here for the Indianapolis 500 coming up a week from Sunday. Tony, um, this is nothing as ceremonial, I-, I feel like, about this last race for you in the sense of you're not there just to turn 200 laps, take your 23rd place finish, and move on. I mean, you've got a legit chance to win this race. So I'm curious, that balance from like, i mean aren't you going to be super emotional during driver introductions even on the parade laps or like have you even thought about what your emotions will be like when you do take that
2: you know green flag for the last time it's been happening here and there in different days already you know what i mean like i got i had an autograph session last weekend uh and people who had a table on the side which i didn't even know about uh people were writing me notes and i got yesterday like 300 plus notes from people that they were there and they would get my autograph and i saw them in a table but i didn't know w- what it was and i didn't make a big deal out of it and and they all handed it to me yesterday so i cried like crazy reading stuff and then i cried because some of the stories are people that I either helped kids that I gave them hats on the difficult time and so on, or people that are just fans. So driver's intro for me, I think it's going to be the hardest a hundred percent. I think you guys know, Jake knows how, how this place is. And I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I think hopefully they will just behave the way they did in the past. And they don't prolong the jeers because then I'm going to cry like crazy. I mean, race, that moment, it's emotional enough, even if you're not retiring, even if you're not, it's just like your nerves are up there, you're ready to go, and uh, yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, I'm probably going to, you know, cry a bit here and there, but it, it's part of it. I, I, Am I ready? I have no idea, because I, I, I don't think you can predict what your emotion of, emotions or what people are going to try to make you feel good. But uh, it's all part of it. I'm going to try to enjoy as much as I can. And uh, if you guys see me crying, then it's, it's I'm going to become a meme, and uh, people going to have fun <laughs> of me. But that's just one more thing.
0: <laughs> Tony, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Tony Kanan is our guest. Um, when you talk about the lives you touched or the lives that touched you in your racing career, I remember at the time this story being well known. I don't know how many people remember it. But if but if I'm going off memory here, when you won the Indianapolis five hundred, you had met I think it was you, right, that had met like maybe an ill child that gave you a good yeah, luck charm Andrew, and
2: you Andrew, that no, was the other way around, right? So my mom had given me a good luck charm when I was eight years old, uh, to actually protect me, you know moms, to protect me when I was racing. So and I used to wear it around my neck, and then I mean, you talk about 20 plus years later, uh, it wouldn't fit on my neck anymore. So I was always wearing it in my pocket. And one, you know, during the month of May, we always go do some hospital visits here at Riley. And anyway, I had it in my pocket that day because I had left the track. I I was always I always wore it in the, on my suit on the pocket of my suit. And that day, I left the track in a hurry. The tra- the, the suit was going to uh, to to the cleaner. So I put that in my pocket, and this. Girl, she was like fifteen or sixteen, if I'm not mistaken, and um, he was in a coma. She was; she just had a uh, a brain aneurysm, and then she was going to go to surgery the next day. And we didn't know if she was going to survive or not. And then I I told her mom, I said, "Listen, I don't know if you believe this," and I told her the story about the good luck charm, and she had it. And then so that year in thirteen, fast forward five or six years, we lost contact. We didn't talk. She. Send me a letter uh, on an envelope with the good luck charm. Say, Tony, I've been watching all these years and you've been trying to win the Indy 500. This is your year. Here, put that in your pocket. This is, this is your year and that's exactly what happened and if you guys watched the end of that race, when I got out of the car, I pulled that out and I showed it. So, uh, pretty cool story. Do you still have it? Yeah, so basically, you can imagine how popular that thing became because now, even, granted, people that had the loved ones, they were sick. they like, this thing makes miracles, so everybody was asking. <laughs> right. To. So I called Andrea again. I said, hey, what do you want me to do? She said, hey, not my responsibility. You gave it to me, I give it back to you. So you pass it on to whoever. So we agreed that it has to be natural. It had to be natural, and we needed to give it to whatever, whoever I thought at the time um, would deserve, and what I did was uh, when Lauren was on her way to the hospital to deliver our first kid, Beco, I gave it to her to protect her and my son, and she has it, and now she, it's her responsibility to pass it on whenever she feels like it. Hmm.
0: Tony, in conclusion, do you find, because I know a little bit, I mean, it's not like I'm intimately around it, obviously. But I know what, especially in talking to Lauren, I know what fatherhood means to you. And you've been very open about what your father meant to you before your father passed when you were a boy. Do you find more inspiration today in your father or in being a father?
2: Uh, well, I have to say being a father because unfortunately I only spent 13 years with with my dad, right, so it was really short, and my oldest kid is 16, so I'll say being a father, and it's, it's such a big responsibility, um, you know, trying to, to set the perfect example or the right example, right, the right morale, and then the way that I want my kids to be when, when they grow up, so uh, I enjoy a lot being a father, I mean, I have four kids, I better enjoy being a father, but uh, yeah, I, I love being a dad.
1: Tony, we'll end with this, and there's a million stories like this. Matt just messaged me and goes, My kids and I met Tony one time at the fashion mall. I have never met a nicer human being, not to mention what he means to the history of the Speedway and racing he is amazing. Um, again, I have heard many of those similar stories, and one of my favorite things about race day is just the universal cheer around that two-and-a-half-mile oval, whether your name is announced or you have a, a restart that only you can pull off uh, or you you know get to the lead, and hopefully we can hear that again. A week from Sunday, so thank you for the time this morning. Hope Mother Nature cooperates later today for you guys, uh, but most importantly, stay safe a week from Sunday, and uh, uh, hope you have a hell of a final race.
2: Thanks, guys. Appreciate for having me, and uh, yeah, let's have some fun. So uh, hopefully, the Mother Nature is going to help, and we'll put some laps this afternoon. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, guys.
1: Tony on right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. We are way over, but that was uh, quite the first segment right there. Uh, we'll be back, Kevin Aquary. The Morning Checkdown.
3: Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm
0: going to go a little outside the box here, Kevin, and start with hockey. Final Four set in the National Hockey League. It is two expansions and two relocations. Florida and Carolina Thursday will be one conference final, the other being Dallas and Las Vegas. That, after Dallas last night, eliminated Seattle so the stars and the Knights getting underway on Friday there's your final four all of our teams eliminated right? you think
1: the NHL likes
0: that like it's no
1: kinda, no no no, no. ESPN so has got to
0: be absolutely irate. Yeah, I, it feels the like teams. the least sexy final four ever doesn't it be
1: like the NBA Finals of a magic Spurs Pacers Thunder
4: yeah final four I, I I totally agree. Yeah, I saw the result yesterday.
1: I don't know about that. <laughs> which. <laughs> hey, you know parody. I'm all uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all, for all it.
4: in. I am all in on the Florida Panthers. They've had. I mean, they knocked off the Bruins, who was everybody's darling. But they got the a long. They have,
0: they've had a long layoff here, right? So the Hurricanes are really, really good. We'll see.
1: I've always liked the Hurricanes mascot the,
0: and the logo. The, that, that stork fella—that's Miami Hurricanes. This is the Carolina Hurricanes. Sure,
1: yeah, I know a lot of NILs <laughs> with the Miami doing the Hurricanes. Doing another switch, on okay? I'll give me another switch. There you go. Um, I—I I, I couldn't hear it in my ear. Uh, tonight on the hardwood, it'll be the Denver Nuggets and the LA Lakers game
0: one. You guys surprised by that six and a half point favorite for the Nuggets? The Nuggets seem to be getting an awful lot of love in this series, right? Denver is really good. I feel like we're we're paving the way
4: for a, a, the latest entry in Pacer in a Celtics and Lakers. That's what I feel like we're
1: we're heading towards. That'd Think be quite, so? Quite mm-hmm. the modern one, certainly. Mm-hmm. And the NBA would be thrilled by that. By oh, the way, absolutely. Uh, Jamal Murray questionable tonight due to illness. Obviously, the matchup of Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic will be one to watch. Uh, tomorrow night is the Eastern Conference Game One. All these tip times are at eight thirty, so not too bad on that uh, end of things. I saw the Celtics, I believe, favored by
0: eight. In that one, I mean, yeah. do we not have thank you, Mark? Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday, St. Louis 18 to 1 over the Milwaukee Brewers. It I'm was, not loving that since St. Louis is kind of going on a run right now. Why?
4: I don't like the Cardinals, they've won like uh, they remember they were at the bottom of the barrel? I thought you just said, I'm
0: loving yeah. the no, I'm on not a run. loving, uh, not. They N-O-T. Said, I'm loving. I was like, no, Are you no, sick, no. Mark? No, no, I would, I would walk out right now. Uh, Rockies over the Reds, by the way. Are nine, you gonna abandon eight. being a Reds fan? Are you gonna abandon following this team? <laughs> you still, you still giggle every. There's time no you play audio that's
4: been played more. That's more than the plop. Yeah. Oh well, the plop is kind of what your
0: A's have been doing in the standings all season long. I'm looking to see the A's yesterday on the short end Tough against loss. your Diamondbacks, yeah. five-two. Uh, cute fella, by the way, on the short end against the Angels, nine-five. So our race for PBR between the, the between the. Orioles and Diamondbacks, I think, tightening up, Mark. Yeah, my Diamondbacks have to make hay against Kevin's uh, A's right now.
1: You guys see what Otani did last night? Oh, it's crushed that home run. Four hits, a double away from the cycle, hit one out of – is it called Camden Yards anymore? Yeah. Certainly hit one out of it uh, in seven innings and got the win. Mm
0: -hmm. Did you see what Aaron Judge did? (laughs) A couple homers, right? Yeah, but this is interesting. Did you see the Blue Jays broadcast? I did not, know The Blue Jays broadcasters – Aaron Judge is at the plate, and the Toronto TV broadcast says, wait a minute, what is he looking at? And they, they basically zoomed in, and with each pitch as he's setting up, as the pitcher goes into the motion, Aaron Judge is looking directly at his own dugout and then looks back at the pitcher and is taking pitches. And then finally, like on the third pitch, he looks, and his eyes get actually kind of big. As he looks at the dugout and then he looks straight on and hit like a straight center home run. And they're like, is he getting tipped on what pitch is coming? Who knows? Hmm, How would the dugout know? Keep an eye on that. Um, I don't know if the dugout would know by maybe somebody in center, same thing as the Astros, right? That'd Uh, be quite the... But the Astros did it. Right? Watching I mean the, the Astros, video right now. It is
1: weird. Like yeah, they zoom is. in
4: and they see his eyes just glance over and then it, But the
1: Astros gonna... was direct from center field to the batter, right? Altuve was wearing no. the device?
0: Well, no. Initially, the Astros was direct from center field to the dugout where they would bang the trash can. That was Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. So the Yankees are cheating. I mean, I who knows. I mean, I don't know who will be the judge of that. Oh, uh, hopefully the weather is better we'll than We'll Keep Jake an Strip
1: eye right on it. There over at IMS. Nine o'clock today. Uh, Ryan Walters, Purdue football coach. In my opinion, that's, that's a belated
4: suck. one, but there, there you go. That was for you. Uh, okay.
1: Nine o'clock. The vets supposed to get out there again. The rookie refresher just won. R.C. Enerson coming up at one o'clock, and everybody on the track. All thirty-four cars scheduled for three. Um, no update so far, Jake. On that. I guess we're still an hour away from things getting underway. Uh, We'll continue to monitor that for you as the first day of uh, IMS practice on the Oval here in the month of May begins. Tony East joins us at 9 o'clock. It's lottery day for the Pacers.
0: Kevin, probably a rhetorical answer here, but a quick question for you. Yesterday, Matt Ryan, shortly after we got off the air, sent out a tweet saying that he will be joining the CBS television crew. And then at the bottom of it said, by the way, this is not a retirement tweet. Uh, Doesn't that feel like a retirement tweet?
1: Uh, It is a retirement tweet, but I don't think he wants, or his agent says, let's not say that because we don't potentially want to get into a legal battle with the Colts over how much money you're you're getting paid.
0: That's got to be it, right? Because if he's the
1: Colts are paying him twelve million dollars to potentially broadcast their games. That's quite humbling, isn't it? Matt Ryan's got three Colts and Jags, you know, Jags and Titans games this year. Can he do a Colts game if he's on their payroll? (laughs) That's a decent question. Um, Yeah, I think that is strictly of we don't want to potentially go down that path. Like, not to say the Colts would all of a sudden win some battle over, hey, you know, we're only paying you if you still think you're going to play in the NFL, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, yeah, they saved $17 million by cutting him, but they still are paying him $12 million guaranteed for 2023. But let's be honest, Jake, once you're in the booth, aren't you done? Well, I mean, yeah. And I mean, he was
0: done last year. Yeah. Another year off, I mean, that would be two consecutive years without playing in the NFL, right? I do think he'll be better booth joke. than studio studio I don't
1: think he's opinionated enough or maybe willing to be that publicly opinionated booth I think he'll be a little bit better I mean super professional guy uh, and and I think he'll have a long career in the booth is it going to be Spiro's uh, right hand man no is it bumping out Adam Archuleta I don't know Uh, is he a Hall of Famer boy that's a really good question Um, I think it's pretty obvious to me I think it's a no
0: Hall of very good is Bernie Kosar in the Hall of Fame? Uh, is he? I mean, Bernie Kosar... Ryan is better... Or, excuse me, Fouts was better than Ryan, and Fouts is in, I believe, right? Um, Bernie K- Kosar is not in the Hall of Fame. What's Bernie Kosar's career passing yardage total?
1: See, I feel like we got to get away from that stat, though, because now it's always skewed to the present-day guys. Yeah,
0: 23,301. What's his rating?
4: Uh, His passer rating, 23,000 yards, that's all he threw for? 59% completion percentage. Okay.
1: I mean, look at Matt Ryan. He played in the weaker of the two quarterback conferences when he was in the NFL. He made four Pro Bowls in 15 years. I mean, don't you got to make more than that? Yeah.
4: Kosar's quarterback rating was 81.8.
0: Yeah, no, no way on that. I just think of Kosar. When Kosar was playing, he was like right at the top of Tier 2. And that's kind of where I've always seen Ryan.
1: It's a bit... And I'm not saying this is Matt Ryan's fault. I mean, certainly some blame there. But obviously, the defense plays football too. We probably are going to remember Matt Ryan's career for 28-3 in the Super Bowl with the Patriots. And we might even remember it, at least in this market, for Colts-Vikings this year. Yeah. Right or wrong, that's probably how... We will look back on that. All right, 8 o'clock hour coming up. We'll continue to update you uh, about an hour away from cars getting on the track. We'll see from a uh, drying standpoint if they're able to get out there and what the what radar looks like. Coming up at 9 o'clock and a whole lot of pacers and the lottery discussion with the ping pong balls tonight at 8 o'clock. Kevin Aquary right here on 93.5 The Fan. 8 o'clock hour here. Kevin Aquary. Uh, Tony Canon, outstanding Uh, Really, to begin the show today, if you missed that, we'll re-rack it coming up to close things out. Also, Tony East, who Mark is en route to the lottery, is that right? I believe
4: that's correct, yes.
1: En route to Chicago for tonight's NBA lottery. We'll chat with him coming up at 9 as well. Not to turn this into a, is Matt Ryan a Hall of Famer show? Because that's the last place that I want to go. But Jake, to me... Uh, I get that he was an MVP for one year. I believe of his 15 seasons in the NFL, that was the only year he ever got an MVP vote. So for me, one year over 15 doesn't all of a sudden mean you are in the Hall of Fame. Four Pro Bowls, played in a conference that didn't have Brady, Roethlisberger, Manning, Rivers.
0: I would say that when it comes to the Hall of Fames, of the three major sports... Major League Baseball is the most selective and prestigious. Football would be second. Basketball would be third. He's definitely, by NBA standards, a Hall of Famer. I mean, like he's as good as Tracy McGrady was in the NBA. But um, when I, I would tend to agree with you, Kevin. I, I do think that he... Consistent longevity, there's something to be said sure. for that. He was sure, a consistently sure. very good... Here's the thing. He was always... Until the last year, essentially, or maybe two. I mean, obviously, I didn't watch him nuanced in his last year or two in Atlanta. But clearly, he had fallen off a cliff by the time the Colts got to him. But um, but he was always, at the very least, he was a very good player that was an excellent player for probably a handful of years.
1: Yeah, zero denying
0: that. But we're but, talking Hall of Fame. But I, I would, I would tend to agree with you that, you know, by position... That's the other thing that's interesting is by position, he's probably not. Because I think the quarterback Hall of Fame threshold is probably higher than it is for, say, like a linebacker. You know, it is, was Ricky Jackson a better linebacker than Matt Ryan is quarterback? I, I don't know. But it just seems like there are, there are probably some running backs that are in the Hall of Fame that you're like, yeah, okay. But quarterback is kind of held to a different standard. Um, and I think that he was always the very top of tier two that enjoyed maybe two or three years in tier one.
1: Like if Darius Leonard plays six more years, eight more years, no Pro Bowls, but he ends his career with Ryan's resume, four-time Pro Bowler.
0: See, I I I don't use Pro Bowls for me personally as any sort of barometer because at this point, I mean, like Ryan Fitzpatrick's a Pro Bowler. You know what well, I mean?
1: Well, you can't go off the alternate I'd list. go all pro. Yeah. Okay. All-Pro is fine, and if I'm not, boy, I I don't, Matt Ryan was obviously an All-Pro during his MVP season. I think that was it for him. Now, what's difficult about All-Pro, to be fair to Ryan in in that sense, and that's why I I was going Pro Bowl on that, I mean, All-Pro, he was in a generational quarterback era with Manning and Brady and Breeze and all of them, but even if you just slot him from a Pro Bowl standpoint in his own conference, um, there weren't many Nominations just one out of every four years. Okay.
0: Is Frank Gore a Hall of Famer?
1: Yeah. But to me, that's a difference in position.
0: I think longevity yeah. at running back means more. I, I don't argue that. Yeah.
1: I think durability and longevity of that position is a trait you have to factor in when
0: you way to find running backs. Here's a good way of saying this. Okay. If you looked up quarterbacks that are in the Hall of Fame and then say, Okay, which of these quarterbacks had a career that Matt Ryan, you would definitively say, is a better quarter? You know what I mean? Who, who had a – like Ken Stabler.
1: Is it a different wh- grading was, scale, though, Jake, for those guys? Because the game is so pass-happy now and the rules favor yeah, quarterbacks Yeah, I, I think
0: that's a fair point. Um, when you look through – okay. Here's a modern one for you, but Matt Stafford.
1: I'd probably vote Stafford in over Ryan, but I I, I need to see more from Stafford. I mean... I mean, the whole group of Stafford, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan... Boy, that's going to need a lot of debate.
0: When you look at the list of quarterbacks that are in, it's pretty hard to find one that you would say Matt Ryan is better than. I I will say that. I, I mean... Warren Moon. Did Warren Moon have a better career than Matt Ryan? If you consider his Canadian numbers, probably, right? But I think those are pretty on par. I mean, very accurate passers, really solid players. But was there ever a year where Warren Moon was definitively considered the best quarterback in the league? That he's in. But his Canadian career helps him a lot. Again, Fouts, Lynn Dawson...
1: Again, we bring this up. Matt Ryan yesterday announced that he is not retiring, uh, but he is joining the CBS broadcast booth. So the Colts will pay him $12 million in 2023 to broadcast
0: some of Seems like a lost opportunity for us to not say that CBS, of course, and then play our famous soundbite, right? Terry Bradshaw, (laughs) 212
4: touchdowns and 210 interceptions. Yeah, he's got four rings, though. And we've got Matt Ryan. That's right. I'm finding it, don't worry. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Come on. I'll dig it out. Um, it's not as easy to
1: find as the plop sound. What did you uh, what you make yesterday, Jake, of a pretty substantial rule change from a high school basketball standpoint? I think Hold it was a national. Me pay, let me pay this off.
4: We have Matt there Ryan. You
1: Thank you for that. Uh, national Federation of High Schools uh, made the rule change to eliminate the one-on-one. One. So IHSA basketball games next year, it used to be each half, You get to seven fouls, boom, one and one. You get to ten, it's double bonus. Now, the high school rules will adopt, I think, what we've seen in the women's college basketball game, definitely in the NBA, where it'll be five fouls each quarter. They'll reset at the start of each quarter, and you'll immediately go into the double bonus. So, no one and ones. Fouls from the first quarter won't carry over to the second. Third quarter won't carry over to the fourth. Um, but you'll immediately go to the double bonus
0: i think when you look at the fact that we'd give out them participation trophies and got away from the one class system why not just go ahead and give them kids all the free throws they want what what, where's that guy from (laughs) what's that Where's that that guy from? i wanted to call in and say i think coach got wronged when they fired him um sounds like alabama sec radio (laughs) Yeah, I was so? curious
1: what 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 city he was going to say there because I don't think Jake would be allowed back. And then, uh,
0: yeah, I don't want to say any cities. We we in said city there. There's a precedent of upsetting Southern Indiana cities. And in I actually kind of like this rule change. By the way, it's not bad. Um, although I, I do. I always kind of liked, you know, there's a pressure that comes with a one and one right?
1: But I just hate watching games. But it was always
0: confusing to me to know how many fouls. Like, are they on the bonus or not, you know?
1: And I hated watching games, and I feel this way sometimes about college, but, you know, when you get, and you can easily just say, hey, defend without fouling, yes. But you get to that early second quarter, and all of a sudden, a team's in the bonus, and then they just live at the foul line the rest of the half, and there's no flow to the game. Yeah, There's absolutely no flow, so... Um, I was actually texting a couple of high school coaches yesterday just get their thoughts on it they both seem to be fans of it they honestly both said uh, hey can we get the shot clock
0: that's what they're hoping for before that's the big one that
1: they get to the fouls um, and I don't know what it is is it finances is it enough staffing for a game is it an official having to deal with one more element to it I is a combination of all of those I don't know exactly what is holding that back but I do like this. It, it kind of mirrors a little bit of the higher levels. Again, you still need to get the shot clock in there, in my opinion. But um, I like the fact that you aren't going to all of a sudden have all these foul fest, And you're still going to have to defend without fouling because, you know, once you get to the five fouls in each quarter, obviously it immediately goes to two shots. So it would be harder to maybe come back into games. But I like this.
0: You know, the. I think the shot clock is the one that, that people now are really going to harp on, right? Of of making that change, um, the when you played you played basketball right? Sure, not very well. Did you ever get terrified at the free throw line? Oh, without question,
1: particularly on one and ones. To be fair, right? I mean, I mean that is a very nervy first shot. So that element. I do think you will miss. I know some people believe kind of one-on-ones are gimmicks, though. Really? I think some people are like, well, just shoot two. I mean, has there ever been a one-on-one in the NBA? Has the NBA always been two shots?
0: That's a good question. Now that you mention it, I've got to think about it. Like, going way back, I don't recall. I mean, I'm sure the answer is probably right in front of us, but... Um, i don't know i the one the, my only foul fest my more only complaint with the one-on-one was just the fact that like it would always be confusing to me whether or not it's i mean i know you can just look and see if they're in the bonus but you know what do you think is holding back shot clocks
1: is it literally the finances and the staffing and the installation process like i get that in our market jake there are a lot of high schools that either already have one or certainly are capable of having and running a shot clock maybe the same can't be said for other pockets of the state i don't know that i might be overstepping there but
0: you know i i think there probably is just an element of the traditionalist nature i mean in indiana by nature when it, in this state there are a few things that are held very sacred and one of them is high school basketball and i think that well i don't think i know that there are a lot of people in this state that felt like that was completely obliterated when they went to the, ca- the to the class system and that is a talk show that that has been exhausted a thousand times over but perhaps to kind of appease subconsciously the fan base that is still harping for the, the 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 single class system and the glory days of indiana high school basketball maybe in the back of the ihsa's mind they're like you know what at, at least there are some things that we still hold in terms of the old the yester years of bobby plump holding the ball on his hip
1: oh geez are we really still there I, that's got to be such a small
0: percentage of people, right? I don't disagree. But sometimes the small group of people is the most vociferous. Now,
1: yeah, I don't unfortunately I don't
0: disagree with that. Um on a t- uh, on a different point, Kevin, in a very probably unpopular opinion in this state, it has been my feeling for the last 20 years that Indiana high school football, and I don't mean, I'm not talking about talent levels here. I'm talking about pride and enthusiasm levels. Indiana high school football has become very underrated. Very underrated. If you go on a Friday night, I used to love my, I have said a million times, Kevin, I worked in local television sports at Channel 6 for, I, I don't know the number of years, but when I left television and move to radio, the only thing that I missed, literally, the only thing that I missed was Friday nights. I loved going, we'd go two high school games a night and you'd go and you'd stand on the sidelines and get a couple of highlights and go back and put together a package. I loved it. I loved showing up at high schools and the lights on a Friday night and seeing the crowd and the, 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 the band and all of it. I loved everything about it. Um, cowbell sounds in the crowd, And I think the enthusiasm for high school football in Indiana is very underrated. I think at this point in 2023, the enthusiasm for high school basketball in Indiana is very overrated. During the tournament, maybe, sure. But on a Friday night, you could go to two high schools that are playing in Indiana on a Friday or Saturday night in December and go there, and there's 250 people in the crowd.
1: You think that's still universal across the state, or is that just more of an indie comment? Because I I, I think it's more... Indy to me. I still think in the other corners of the state, that you're, high school you're basketball probably, still reigns more.
0: No, you're probably right about that. But but my point being, in the glory days of Hoosier hysteria, it didn't matter where you were. Sure. It was true all the way across the board. Um, yeah, you're probably right that in Washington, Indiana, it's still a big deal when North Knox comes to town. I, and I get it. But I, I do think that you know, for a lot of kids, I think there are a lot of kids in the state of Indiana right now that if you asked them would say that they'd rather see their football team make a run than their basketball team. I mean, I think football is really – and and admittedly, the, the Peyton Manning Colts influence in the state has a lot to do with that, a ton to do with that. But I, I just love – I don't know. I love the the high school football in Indiana. I think it's really good.
1: Certainly from a recruiting standpoint, it has risen big time here in recent years. Um, we are going to give away a pair of tickets coming up to the 500 for the pop quiz and all three shows this week doing that. So we've got wall-to-wall coverage here. On the fan, track updates will begin today. Weather permitting, of course, Uh, 9 o'clock is when things are supposed to get underway. Over at IMS, still have not heard otherwise. Uh, 10 o'clock would be the start of those track updates on the hour all week long, leading into quals coming up this weekend. And your chance to go to the 500. Uh, with all three of our shows here will happen all week long. The pop quiz for us at 9.30. Again, that will be sandwiched around Tony East at 9 to talk Pacers lottery. And then in the back half of the 9 o'clock hour, we will replay that Tony Canon interview. He was outstanding with us early this morning. We forgot to ask Tony, what time do you think is bedtime if he's up at 4.50? 10. 9 or 10. He, I feel like he would look at my diet, particularly the ones that at times have gone PBR and Long's Donuts, and he probably would not shake my hand at
4: that. you want me to text him your shirtless picture and say, hey, can you give us an evaluation here?
1: I, Yeah. Maybe not, I don't like this. This is not
4: good. (laughs) Is that that a humble brag that you got his number? No.
1: You
0: have it. I just get it from you. But you don't see me throwing it around to people.
1: Alex is bringing this up. He goes, if shot clock was brought in high school sports, wouldn't they need to go to 10 to 12-minute quarters versus 8? High school games are already hour, hour and a half. A 24-second shot clock would make it even faster, almost to the point of hour-long okay. game, which in turn makes it AAU. Kevin,
0: you want to know the reason there's not a shot clock in Indiana. You want me to break this down directly and simple for the people listening.
1: About 20-minute halves.
0: Here's the reason there's not a shot clock in Indiana. The reason there's not a shot clock in Indiana is because we have entered into a world now where every parent out there thinks that their kid is the next T-ball for their kids, the next LeBron James, their kids, the next Glenn Robinson. And as a result, these parents have become a complete pain in the backside that sit in the stands, yell all the time, get on the high school coaches, feel like their kid is completely entitled, pat him on the back, try to protect them absolutely refuse to have any discipline for their kid because it's going to ruin their kids emotions feelings and prospects towards becoming an NBA draft pick. And as a result of that, that leads to coaches that are completely exasperated, but more so it leads to a bunch of officials that see entitled fans that don't make it worth the officials' while to go out and earn 25 bucks to try to help high school kids play a sport, thinking that 80% of those kids are doing it to learn life lessons, when in reality, the parents think 80% of them are doing it to play professional sports. And as a result of that, it's becoming harder and harder and harder, understandably so, for the IHSA to find officials who do a thankless job, who are giving up their three nights four nights a week to go to be able to go out and try to help kids that instead they're getting berated by over overbearing completely unrealistic pushy parents and in order to get a shot clock you would need a third official or a fourth official to run that shot clock and it's harder enough to find the ones just to be able to do what's going on between the lines because the parents in the crowd are all completely out of touch. Yeah, that's I, why there's I, no shot clock. I
1: think that's a bit extreme.
0: Uh, ask officials.
1: Wouldn't you just need someone from the school to run the shot clock? Doesn't a school member run the clock?
0: Until until there's a shot clock violation that costs a game, and then somebody goes, wait a minute, we need to get this as sanctioned officials. I think it has to be a sanctioned IHSA official.
1: Clearly other states have pulled it off. Why can't we pull
0: it off? I'm just telling you what an official's narrative would be.
1: And if every parent thinks their kid's going to get ready for the NBA, like you said, wouldn't you want to have NBA rules in place? Than when you want to Understood,
0: off? but I'm telling you, like the the, the travel, basketball, it, that's the other thing. Any more kids don't want to play, it's not as important to play for your school. It's more important to play for like, you know, indie Run and in Heat or whatever it might be. And the second that things don't go your way, well, I'll just go to join another team. I'll just go to another travel team. It, it, it is also incredibly perverse and backwards. It's and and totally unrealistic. And I'm telling you, there are parents listening right now half of them are nodding their head going amen brother and the other half are going i'm not that way am i am i frank am i that way yes you are i'm just telling you like it's if you if you talk to officials in the state of indiana they will tell you that it is becoming the number the absolute number one numero uno concern for high school officials in the state of indiana is trying to find high school officials recruiting high school officials to do it because of the number of officials that are going out and doing games for one year and they're like this ain't worth it i'm getting 35 bucks and a hungry howie's pizza coupon for this guy to sit here and follow me to my car screw that it's becoming harder and harder and that goes for the for probably teachers as well. I mean, when you say, like, can't you just get a teacher to run a shot clock, I'm telling you, there are more and more teachers in the state of Indiana that are like, I don't want to get involved in the athletics of my school because the parents are a complete pain in the backside.
1: We will lead off this morning check down with a little bit of basketball.
0: The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
1: All right, tonight it gets underway. The conference finals, a rematch of the bubble finals from a few years ago. Nuggets and Lakers, that is from Denver, 8.30 tips. So the lottery will happen at 8 o'clock tonight on ESPN, and that will feed into the number 1 seed Nuggets, the 7 seed Lakers. Denver favored by 6.5 here in Game 1. Jabal Murray is questionable due to illness. That'll be something certainly to keep an eye on. Uh, but you get Denver and L.A., and then tomorrow you'll get Game 1 of the Celtics and the Heat, also in 8.30 tip.
0: Now, Mark, is the swoosh budding, is it acting up today? We stick, seem to be The on. space bar is sticking a little bit. <laughs> we seem to it's be on double tap. <laughs> there it is. Thank you. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals 18-1 over the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers yesterday were kind of like our swoosh. A little slow out of the gate, right? That's okay. Rockies over the Reds 9-8. It was Nationals over the Mets 10-3. Giants over the Phillies 6-3. In interleague play. Astros over the Cubs, 6-4. Atlanta blanking the Rangers, 12-0. The Arizona Diamondbacks over Mark's Oakland Athletics, 5-2. No, uh, the Athletics, no,
4: that's not correct. What's that? My Arizona Diamondbacks over Kevin's.
0: What did I say? You I said keep my screwing Oakland that up. Athletics. Kevin's Athletics on the short end against Mark's Arizona Diamondbacks. Sorry. Uh, Padres over the Royals, 4-0. And the Dodgers over the Twins, 9-8. How dare you associate me associate me with that 9-win team.
1: <laughs> Mark, you going to go over to Victory Field this week? Watch the Iowa yeah, Cubs?
4: Yeah, probably head over uh, Sunday, I think is what we're, we're circling. Uh,
1: Dollar menu night over there at Victory Field. Tomorrow night. I think, or tomorrow is the 1.30 game, and then Thursday is the uh, late morning game over there as the Indians are back at home for the first time here in a couple of weeks. Princess uh,
4: Day on Sunday. Disney princesses. What? Well, I guess you can't say Disney, but princesses will be there. What can you say, Disney? I don't know. Yeah, so the girls
0: will love I was
1: planning on taking Rosie out to the track, but maybe we might have to Deviate a little bit there. idea is
0: on line four, by the way. Who? (laughs) Never mind.
1: (laughs) Uh, IMS today. Things get underway at nine o'clock. Weather permitting. So far, no updates there. Again, it's opening day. Ryan Walters, Purdue head football coach, going to be the honorary starter there. Uh, Gates already open. Practice from nine to six. Veterans nine to 1115. A little bit of break. Uh, The rookies, which is just one, and R.C. Enerson from one to three, and then everybody on track from three to six. Uh, Looking ahead to the rest of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, practice from noon to six each of those three days. Gates open at 10 a.m. each of those three days. Uh, How
0: about this? I have no idea. I don't want to say the name of the league just in case. A, A major Indianapolis suburb youth baseball league sent an email to all parents last week. Said, if parent behavior does not improve, they're shutting the league down. I'm telling you, man. Like, it, it's it's crazy. You
1: know, like... I just don't think parent behavior is impacting the shot clock installation of high school basketball. I think more of a finances installation issue more than parents thinking their kids are going to the NBA.
0: I, I'm telling you... It, It's all a byproduct, Kevin. I I will die on this hill, and that hill is that Indiana high school basketball, football, baseball, and wrestling officials are at their wits' end in getting the proper number of officials because of the numbers that don't want to do it because of overbearing parents. And I do think that putting in shot clocks would maybe not in all games, but for a lot of games, would necessitate an additional official and or school official that would not want to do it for that reason. I I I mean, don't school officials run
1: the clock normally? And that's obviously happened for years and continues to happen?
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of them are like, I I think it's getting harder and harder to find parents that want to do it. Or, I mean, excuse me, um, teachers and administrators that want to do it. I'm telling you. I know that sounds crazy. I know that I sound like a 90-year-old guy. I'm guilty as charged. But I'm just going by what, as somebody who has umpteen number of friends whose kids are in that demographic, and as somebody who knows a decent amount of officials, and for that matter, has been a keynote speaker at an official luncheon within the last year, I'm telling you. It is an issue.
1: Yeah, I'm not denying that officiating numbers is not an issue, and obviously parental behavior is certainly an an issue. But I just don't think it's the the sole reason why the shot clock hasn't been installed in high school basketball.
0: Let's assume uh, the hill you died on would be Crown Hill. Oh, that's well, good. Point. No, that's where that's where they'll end up taking me at. Oh, okay. I don't know if I'll be on the hill itself, though. I'd like to be. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be, but I think that's a little pricey. It's a large well, tombstone. Every, how, right?
4: how much can fit the shrine fit on there? Well, that's a good point.
0: They're out of room, right? Yeah. Knock a couple <laughs> other ones down in less important. I'll have the large field next to it.
1: Tony, you sit nine. Tony can on a little bit later than the nine o'clock hour. Kevin Aquarius, right here, 93.5. 107.5, the fan.
0: Here's a good uh, point somebody made. Jake, who do you think runs the shot clock at college games? The home team provides the shot clock operator. If it were at a high school level, officials would not want and an administrator running the shot clock because it would lead to more reason for parents to get upset at things. I'm telling you. I I mean, yeah. Is there a cost to it? Sure. What would the cost be? I don't know how much it is to to put in and install shot clocks. It would be a one-time cost. I'm telling you the increasing things, nuances, to upset people about officiating is absolutely 1000% an issue in the state of Indiana. 1000%. Why can some other states figure it out? I don't know. I mean, I,
1: aren't parents universal in that realm?
0: May, I don't know. I mean, maybe they've always had it. I have no idea.
1: I mean, I've been fortunate to be at a lot of high school games. I've never seen a parent walk an official out to the parking lot.
0: Okay, I will respectfully highly disagree with that.
1: I just don't think that's the reason.
0: Uh, this from Jim Reamer, who typically only opines when... Uh, Jake is completely out of touch. Good officials get out because they don't like the IHSA hierarchy. Jake talks to officials. Me too. I hire great ones each fall. Okay, cool. I'm telling you. Uh I, I bet right now if we open the phone lines, we could get people that would call in, and I mean, we're not going to do this, until 10 o'clock talking about an example they've seen within the last year of an unruly parent.
1: Yeah, I'm not denying and, that, but I think you can figure out a way to effectively have a shot clock at a high school basketball game. Other states have done it.
0: I'm not opposed to having a shot clock, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm telling you, I think that is a factor in why there isn't one.
1: Uh, lottery tonight for the Pacers eight o'clock. That will be ESPN um, again. If you are a Pacers fan tonight, certainly a lot of interest in what will happen. Uh, if you want to, you know, shoot for the moon there. Boom, seven percent chance for the number one overall pick. Twenty-nine percent chance to get one of the top four selections. Uh, m- much higher percentage to be seven, eight, or nine. If you look at recent lotteries, the seventh spot has served those teams quite well they have found their ways into the uh, top four of the lottery. So that is the good news on the Pacers' front for tonight. Uh, The other thing to keep an eye on will be Houston and San Antonio. If San Antonio is higher in the lottery order, that means the Pacers will get the Rockets' early second-round pick. So potentially the Pacers could come away with a top-four pick tonight and number 32. Those would be the things uh, to keep an eye on for tonight.
0: The... The one question, and I know you kind of went over that, this, Kevin, but I had asked this the other day, so I want to clarify it again. (coughs) Because I I truly wondered this. Once they pull a team's ping-pong ball out, so I know this from just having done math, like the odds of things like with replacement and without replacement. So if the Pacers, for example, is the first ping-pong ball they pull out, they don't then remove all of the Pacer ping-pong balls and start it back up again. All of the Pacer ping-pong balls are put back in, and they keep drawing, and if the Pacers one is pulled out, they just... they throw it back in, and redo it again, all over again. Um, they're going to end up... What's your guess? I'm going to go 9. They're going to end up with the ninth pick.
1: What is it? Is it Is it eight? the
0: highest one they could get? I think that's right, yeah.
1: Or the 8th eight, eight is most likely, I should say, um, on that one. Um, yeah, I mean, in all likelihood, they're in that seven, eight, nine range. You know, brought this up earlier, but... And we'll talk with Tony East coming up at 9 o'clock, because I'm curious where he would kind of qualify as some tiers in this draft. You know, if you look at last year's class... I think a lot of people thought there was the the big three you had, and then potentially was there a little bit of a drop. It didn't really play out that way. If you look at the rookie seasons from these guys, granted Chet Holmgren you know, missed the entire rookie year, but I think if you um, view things in the lens that Kevin Pritchard has talked about, if you have a top four pick, that is going to be a sh- extremely attractive and potentially pairing that from a trade value standpoint this offseason.
4: Uh, we got to do a tankathon, right? What's tank-a-thon? That? We got to do a tankathon at some
0: point, right? Should we do another one? We'll Do it right now? Sure. It's the NBA draft lottery night. I feel. Like I we guess we can only to. do it so many more times, right. right? Yeah. All right, hang on just a second. NBA draft tankathon. Here we go. Uh, the Pacers, of course, currently sitting in seventh. <laughs> What did I just say? With the ninth pick. Oh, boy. <laughs> in the 2023 NBA Take-A-Thon mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select Taylor Hendricks from the University of Central Florida. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. I like Taylor
4: Hendricks a lot. I'm Taylor. saying, as far as
0: like a mark, should I, should I do country.
1: one more just to be safe? Mark, sure. that was a buzzkill.
0: Eighth. When sure. I do it again, it's eighth.
1: Again, yeah, defensive-minded from that sense wing. Uh, Taylor Hendricks is actually a pretty intriguing guy to me. Is Brandon Miller going to be the
0: number 2 pick? I think it depends on who has the number 2 pick. Is it going to be Scooter? I think it depends on who has it. I, I think for the most teams, it would be Scoot Henderson. If it's the Pacers and they're drafting second, they take Brandon Miller.
1: You, we talked about opinion. how... How the team has climbed from 7th into the top 4, um, I think it's each of the last 5 years. If you look at the last couple of years, I mean, the Kings last year jumped and they got Keegan Murray. Obviously, that worked out very well for them. Uh, and then, 2 years ago, you had Toronto jump and they took Scotty Barnes at 4. So, I mean, that is a huge, huge deal. And you look at percentages, I mean, 29%, again, that's 3 out of 10. It's not that that crazy. Uh, on that end of things for the Pacers. So uh, that'll be something to keep an eye on. NBA Combine going on right now. Trace Jackson Davis shooting threes. Did I see that yesterday in Chicago?
0: Um, I thought when I saw, okay, I'm not a scout. People were excited because Trace Jackson Davis in the video was hitting some threes with no one around him. I thought his legs were far too wide on his shot and he looked like a guy that, Took way too long to set up a three-point shot at the NBA level. Did he hit it? Yeah, he hit it. Um, but I, I, I think he still has to do that in like game action to show that he can do it consistently.
1: I guess to be fair to him, that's all he can do right no, now. No, I, I mean it's totally. A I get that workout.
0: Um, hey Jake, please define generational talent for me. It came out of nowhere and gets used constantly nowadays. A talent that is only seen, um. A generational talent to me means a player that during the generation in which he plays in the NBA, his talent is fairly unprecedented or clearly stands out amongst his peers. So, Victor Webbamyama would appear to be a generational talent because what he brings to the table is something that others amongst this generation we have not before seen. We have not before seen a seven foot five guy that could put the ball on the floor. Hit a three-point shot. And I realize right now he's doing it on Zapruder film with a void basketball. I get it. Like at the Tabernacle Gym. But to be fair to
1: him, he did play really well against the G League team
0: back yeah. in the fall. I mean, he's clearly, so in other words, a talent that is unforeseen amongst the generation in which they're playing.
1: Yeah, I don't remember a prospect this overwhelming at one, boy, in, in quite some time. I mean, I guess maybe the Yao draft you'd have to go back to. Um, I, I just I don't feel like we've heard this much of a consensus on it. The unicorn nature to it all, and I think how the NBA game has changed. When you're looking for more perimeter-oriented big guys, I think that has played into it. I mean, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, they step out, they certainly face up and and hit jump shots. I mean, that's you know, Webin nowhere near the the strength of them. Um, you know how Giannis has grown into his body that probably offers a bit of attraction and I do think there is this appeal to you know finding that international talent. I mean if you look at the MVP award, that's the last 5 MVPs all been international players. I do think there's strong appeal in that side of it as well. Um so we'll see Detroit, what is it? Detroit, Houston and San Antonio.
0: Um those are the 3. Yeah.
1: All have a 14% chance at number 1 I, overall.
0: Detroit, man. I mean, like what are they going to do? Have a roster of like five number 1 picks in 3 years? I mean, good Lord. San Antonio, doesn't it seem like it is a given that, you know, whenever you have, like, an international player or a player that is the can't-miss number one. Like, there there are teams, Kevin, that have had a number one pick, that have landed the number one pick in years when there was not a definitive doesn't matter who has the number one. You know what I mean? Like, Cleveland had the number one pick, and Anthony Bennett was the pick. Okay. You know, Washington had the number one overall pick, and Kwame Brown was the number Okay. But there are certain players, and they don't come along very often, but there are certain players that everybody and their brother knows is going to go number one regardless. So I guess the best way to say generational talent is a player that if they are, that, that any franchise that has the number one pick is going to take them that they are so good and so unique that regardless of your areas of need or your areas that are already filled, you take them. And that's what you have this year. Tim Duncan was that way. David Robinson was that way. And San Antonio got both of them. (laughs) So doesn't it feel like natural that this is the perfect year for San Antonio to again land the number one?
1: Of those three, if I'm Webin Yamba, I think Detroit would be where I'd want to go from a Jaden Ivey, Kate Cunningham standpoint, right?
0: I mean, I,
1: I just think... I mean, putting cities to the side, if you're pu- talking about basketball fit, I would think a trio of Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, and Victor Webb and Yama would be pretty good for the big dude.
0: Yeah. I, again, Webb Yama is going to play and fit in. Sure. He, w- let me rephrase that, Kevin. Webb Yama, they're going to make supporting cast fit in around him regardless of where he goes. You know what I mean? I mean, no matter who your team is, if you've got a chance to get Webb Yama, you are telling your other players, um, figure out how to play with this guy, will you? And so, he's going to be the number Now, it is a draft, so I've been told, that becomes fairly interchangeable by four, four to 15. Then it's best player available or the one that most fits what you need. Four to 15. Somewhere in there. So, Scoot Henderson, I mean, people love him. He's 6'2", point guard. The Pacers don't need a 6'2", point guard. They need a wing.
1: You know, Kelly points out, Zion Williamson, wasn't he kind of the clear number one choice at this time? Yeah, I I, I guess he probably was. Maybe it's a little bit of the unknown with Webb and Yama, of just like he is the international player, and yes, he came over, and they played the two games against the G League, and he was terrific. But I still think from a, and Zion in his own way, I guess, when healthy, has a bit of that unicorn flair to him, but I still think Web and Yama's in a different realm when you talk about his size and his shooting shooting ability. I just, again, I don't remember it to this degree. Um, Alright, coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, Tony East is going to join us again. He's en route to the lottery, so we'll chat more about uh, that with him. And then Tony uh, we will round things out after giving away a pair of tickets to the 500. Remember, that is all week long here on The Fan. Each of our shows giving away a pair of tickets to the 500. Wall-to-wall coverage leading into quals. Track updates will begin coming up at 10 o'clock, assuming uh, cars do get uh, on the track here at 9 o'clock, which is supposed to be the official start time over there at IMS. Kevin Aquaria on an overcast Tuesday here in Indy.
0: Is that it's really hard to come up with a retired player at quarterback whose career seems to be the perfect analogy to Matt Ryan. You know what I mean? Like we're sitting we were talking about is Matt Ryan a Hall of Famer or is he not and it's like in thinking about quarterbacks from the past that are in or out it's hard to come up with one that you would go, yeah, he pretty much had the same career as Matt Ryan.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult with quarterbacks to weigh generations because again, the game now is catered so much uh, more to that position. Undoubtedly. It's particularly from a statistical standpoint Um, What I'm looking for in Hall of Famers, I guess, and some of this can differ on the position, but to me, I need to see like multiple years where you were one of, if not the best player at said position. And with Ryan, I don't think we have enough of that. Again, in his 15 years, unless I'm totally missing a season, uh, I see one year where he got
0: one MVP vote. In 15 years. There's 50 MVP votes a year. Now, uh, another thing to, to factor is this. If Matt Ryan... I mean, there are so many intangibles that work into this equation. But if Matt Ryan had had the exact same career, Kevin, but had it for the New York Jets or the Washington Commanders or the Denver Broncos, the exact same career a Super Bowl appearance for Pro Bowls but did it for one of the rich fan base tradition-laden franchises is he seen differently. There are few franchises that are more anonymous in the NFL in terms of like... like do you ever go anywhere and meet somebody that's a diehard fan of the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. It's just but... kind of like the... The franchise where it's like kind of like the Atlanta Hawks. Truth be told, right?
1: I do think we have a legit Hall of Fame debate with Eli Manning, and he played in the biggest market, yeah, in the U.S. Well,
0: it, it, but it, what I'm getting at, and that's that kind of adds to my point. If Eli Manning had done exactly what he did for the Minnesota Vikings, is he? As discussed as the fact that it's the New York Giants. And his name is Manning. Yeah, I mean, the last
1: name is probably the that's biggest the factor. Two yeah. Super
0: Bowls, though, is huge. No, you're right. What Do about you, Tony Romo for no Matt Ryan? What? No?
1: Oh, in the comparison, in the comp, I thought you meant yeah, a Hall of Fame. A famer. comp
4: for Matt Ryan. That's not bad.
1: Probably a little bit better individually, statistically, but obviously playoff success,
0: not There is only there. one quarterback.
1: Not that Matt Ryan and the Falcons were r- routinely making Super Bowl runs.
0: There's only one quarterback... In league history, with multiple Super Bowl wins as a starter, that is not in the Hall of Fame. Only one. It's Jim Plunkett. And
1: Are there any Hall of Famers that... Are there any MVP winners that are not in the Hall of Fame?
0: Oh, surely. Um, you made that quarterback or in general?
1: Uh, just in general. NFL MVPers that are not in the Hall of
0: Fame. Well, I mean, Mosley, the kicker. I, uh, I
1: guess on. in the last 25, 30 years. I guess if you go a little bit more modern and not... Sean Alexander? Steve McNair? Steve McNair's not a Hall of Famer?
0: I don't think he is, is he? Let's see if Steve McNair's in the Hall I, I don't think Steve McNair's in the Hall of Fame. Should he be? I would guess
1: Sean Alexander would also be in the Hall of Fame.
0: Uh, Steve McNair. Because I
1: know that's a big NBA thing. Every Hall of Fame or every MVP
0: or has made the Hall of Fame. Steve McNair is not in the Hall of Fame. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Hmm. He is not in the Hall of Fame. Well, that's a good comparison right here, right? Four-time pro bowler. Yeah, which is what Ryan is. An MVP. Isn't Ryan an MVP? Yeah. Um, And McNair went to a Super Bowl and was on the short end. So there you
1: go. So that is different than the NBA. The NBA, it seems to be, if you are an MVP, you make the Hall of Fame. That is not necessarily the case here with the NFL. So, um, yeah, I would say no. On the Matt Ryan front. And we bring this up because he announced yesterday on Twitter that he's not retired, but uh, he will be in the that, booth this year for that That part is CBS. what cracked
0: me up. This is not a retirement tweet. I think it's all like legal. I think you made a good point there.
1: He wants to get that $12 million from the Colts. Uh, knowing your brain, Jake, this to me will be probably a no-brainer for you. Can you name the 13 countries represented in this year's Indianapolis 500? I should say of the 34 entries. Okay for the The, the
0: countries represented, you ready? United States. Do you have do you have the list in front of you? Yes. Okay. I, I'll
1: just keep on going and I'll stop you. Canada,
0: Brazil, Argentina, France, New Zealand, Australia, Japan, Switzerland, Spain. I'm trying to think if Italy is. Um did I say France?
1: You said France.
0: Was France right? Oh, the Netherlands. Well, yeah, Pagano, right? Boom. Uh, the Netherlands, right? Sweden and Denmark. Did I miss any? My counting was poor. <laughs> <laughs> Did I miss any? You say England. Oh, I don't know if I said England. I... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ireland. Sorry, I, 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 can't, I, I can't believe you I, 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 I forgot England. In my opinion, that sucked. <laughs> it's fabulous. I get, I go to the grocery store. People want my, my They say, "Where's your British old guy?" So I, Gr- I left him in the car. Grosjean from Switzerland. Well, Grosjean is interesting because he was, um, he's a French citizen, but he was born and raised in Switzerland. But his mother is French, and so he has he has duality. But I don't know that he's ever lived in France. And you obviously said Mexico, right? Oh, in Mexico with Pato, who actually was raised primarily—and I—I I, I shouldn't say primarily—he went to high school in San Antonio, but was born in Monterey, Mexico.
1: There might be more than thirteen now that I add them up.
0: Switzerland, Denmark. Yep, I said that with Lundgaard, right? And, and Peterson, right? Peterson was born there, yeah. So yeah, we might
1: be fourteen or fifty. Is that that's got to be one of the higher it's numbers? Way right? up
0: there, yeah. I remember at one point saying in a race that eight different nations had led a particular 500. Um, I always get a kick out. I, I've always wanted. I wish Schechter was still racing because... Thomas Schechter? Yeah, that would... that Then, if Schechter was racing, you would have every inhabited continent in the world.
1: Uh, South Africa?
0: He is South African, correct. Hmm.
1: I kind of forgot that Marco Andretti was still around until
0: I saw him on the I, entry list. Funny you mentioned that Kevin. I thought about that yesterday. I literally yesterday I thought, you know what it's interesting like no one talks about the fact that Marco's in the race. And he was on the pole during the COVID 500, is that correct? Right? That's correct. It's interesting that the during the COVID 500 I took a picture of the starting field right as they were coming through on the pace lap. It was so weird, right? Nobody in the stands whatever, but there's Marco on the pole and at one point at you know the next race or whatever i saw him and i go hey this is kind of a cool photo and i showed him the picture and he looked at my phone and he goes yeah it's cool photo but all hell broke loose after that okay because his car you know he his car was not very good in traffic and he fell to like eighth and just kind of was matter of fact he is one of only i can't remember the number it's not many uh i think it's nine pole sitters that did not lead a single lap in the year in which they sat on the pole.
1: why it's uh, it's that high yeah interesting um okay nine o'clock right Are we still green flag? Sounds like everything's good over there. From a weather standpoint, uh, so far, I have not seen any updates. So far, so good. I have not seen either. It was pretty wet walking to the car this morning, but it looks like the uh, dryers have been out in full pursuit over there at IMS. We had Tony Kanaan on earlier. He was outstanding per usual. We'll re-rack that coming up after the pop quiz, which will be a pair of tickets. And we'll also catch up on the other side with Tony East. He's en route to Chicago for tonight's NBA lottery. What range would be ideal for the Pacers realistically? We'll chat with Tony about that.
0: Pacers hoping to get lucky in terms of the NBA draft lottery, and one of their good luck charms, I guess, is on his way up, right? They're hoping Tony East is a good luck charm, right, Kevin?
1: <laughs> yes, they are hoping. Now, Tyrese Halliburton probably taking on a little bit of a bigger presence there. Uh, he will be on stage tonight for the Pacers. Uh, I, I saw the list of guys. Tony East, you can chime in on this as well. Did you see the list of, of people on stage tonight? Like Tyrese Halliburton is by far the best basketball player on stage tonight.
3: <laughs> oh, my gosh, it isn't even close right and I mean, uh, maybe the Spurs managing director of business operations is is a great hooper but I have to think Albertburn's got him there
1: okay so Jake did you check out that your guy on stage is Mark Williams tonight for Charlotte
0: <laughs> I saw that and like that might be so far and I was, was if Gordon you recall Hayward, Lonzo Ball a year ago uh, Kevin, Ball, I should say when the Pacers had the possibility of getting Cleveland's first round pick remember I kept saying I'm like oh my gosh they got to try to get Mark Williams out of Duke. The reality is he ended up with the Hornets, and the reality is, Tony, would you agree with this? Mark Williams representing the Hornets franchise at the lottery so far might be the highlight of the Mark Williams era with the Hornets. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> that is 100% correct. Yes, he drafted by a team that already has like four other centers, three of which are young, is uh, about the worst possible situation Mark Williams could have ended up in. So th- this is the highlight for him, I believe.
1: Uh, Tony East with us. He is uh, on his way to Chicago here in a bit for tonight's lottery again, 8 o'clock on ESPN. Tony, before we get into like most realistic scenario, best case, most realistic scenario, those things, let's start with the background and... Basically, the Pacers fans should be looking for two things tonight. Correct their own pick, and then also keep an eye on Houston and San Antonio.
3: Yes, of course, their pick far and away the most important thing, right? If you get Winfreyama, you'll live with whatever happens with some second rounder in the future, right? But yes, that is the the big picture of the day. Will the Pacers move up into the top four? Will they stay at seven? You know, it's not the end of the world if you're seven or eight, but you don't want to fall, of course. And yeah, the other thing they want to see is the Spurs finishing ahead of the Rockets in any sort of capacity so that they also get the 32nd pick instead of the 50th pick, which, again, is minor compared to jumping up themselves, but it's still significant. That's 18-pick slots. That's a big jump.
0: You know, Tony, I was saying this earlier. I want your thoughts on it. Um, and I realized the controversy that was around Brandon Miller at Alabama this past year. And I realized that his play late in the year was probably not what it was over the totality of the season. However, it is my opinion that if Indiana gets the second pick, they are one of the few franchises that may go with Miller over Scoot Henderson for the obvious reasons. Indiana is in a situation where they can simply go based on need, whereas other teams drafting that high would simply go best player available, which might be Henderson, which means Miller might slide a little bit and if they are even like at four they might be able to get him but even with the indiscretion that happened at Alabama I think he fits the mold of the player that they most would hone in on not named Yama. your thoughts
3: yeah Henderson is (laughs) really good but I agree that from a fit perspective Miller is a, a way better fit even going forward just a little bit and he's almost like the perfect complimentary player to me in this draft like a lot of the stuff he was good at at Bama like they didn't give him the ball just w- without any discretion like they had point guards who handled it and had forwards like who-, who were at least decent with the ball his power forward team at Noah uh, I forget his name, Clowney I want to say is probably going to be a-, a pretty decent pick this year too right like they had other talent that I mean he didn't just get unlimited touches but he still did really well with his shooting and getting to the rim and finishing. Like he, He's a really good fit with how the Pacers play, and I think that makes him very attractive to them in a way that Henderson, who I think is better straight up than Miller, but is a way worse fit, right? Because he is a guard and overlaps with Mather and in Halliburton's position, and you know, it's a little bit harder to get those guys to naturally fit and have a strong defensive team just because you've given up a lot of size if they're all out there at the same time. I think he's a better fit than people give him credit for. He did play off the ball his first year with the G League Ignite a lot more than he did this past season, but I still think Miller is a way, 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 way better fit. And agree with you that you know if they are considering fit in the top two, three, whatever, that Miller would be a much better choice for them than Henderson in that way. But I, I do understand if they go best player available. I mean, that's never a bad strategy. It's just you got to figure out the problems a little bit sooner.
1: Tony, should the first tier, and again, Tony East is with us here. Tony, you just changed your Twitter name, did you not? I was about I to say did, T-East yeah. NBA. Where can people find you? Tony R-East now. Tony R-East there, Reginald East. Um, he joins us here <laughs> on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, would you say kind of the first little thing to watch for tonight? And again, I, I'm nitpicking a bit here, but like, the Pacers would be much better served to be at three than four, and I get everybody's like, well, duh, but do you feel like there's a drop-off from maybe, okay, Webb Yama's at one, and then there's heavy debate over Miller and, and Scoot Henderson, but then it looks like there is a notable drop to four. So I guess if you're kind of looking for things, it seems like three to four could be maybe the first kind of big fall-off in how these prospects are viewed outside of Webb Yama.
3: Yeah, if that is the popular choice, then, of course, that's a massive drop, right? And Eamon Thompson is, you know, largely considered to be number four and then maybe a little bit behind those that Miller-Henderson tier, right? And if that is how it ends up on draft night, of course, having four is way less valuable than having two or three, right? It would even cost a lot for the team at four to maybe move up one or two spots, whereas if you're already two or three, it's a lot easier to move around. So I would say that that, that is definitely the case. And if if you view it that way, a lot of like a lot of the people I've kind of talked to or looked at it with have like a four through maybe seven or eight is like a, a tier a, a pretty big tier so like moving up to four is obviously still better than not but it's not like the end of the war it's, it's not the end of the world if you're at seven versus four instead but uh i really like damon thompson i mean he looks really good uh on, on tape and I, I've, a couple of people i talked to like i think it was reported right after the first third on their board like Again, that's that's April draft board. It just mean nothing, but he is really good, and perhaps he could be the one that shakes up the notion that it's a top three kind of player draft. But uh, it does at least seem like the prevailing perception is that, that there is a tiered change from pick three to pick four.
1: Good, Tony East is with us. Uh, off to the lottery here a little bit later today. Eight o'clock tonight, things will get underway. Um, Tony, we're about a month into the Pacers offseason now. I, I don't know if you've had substantial changes in your thought process here, but whether it's watching the playoffs, just kind of decompressing from the Pacers season, has anything changed for you about how you think Indiana should approach this offseason or maybe put yourself in their shoes, will approach this offseason?
3: Yeah, just they, they just got to get wings, right? And like all these teams that are still alive, it, not endless, but it just feels like you know, all of their options to kind of change their rotation, seems like there's a wing involved in the decision, right? Like, the Suns just got smoked by the Nuggets, but it's like their big change was, okay, let's play T.J. Warren and Terrence Ross more. It's like, those are two 6'6 to 6'8 level guys who came out there and won them two games at home, and, you know, the the Lakers changes involved some some more size with, uh, with Lonnie Walker playing a little bit more. Everybody's talking about the Warriors going smaller, but getting some of their wings out there more. Like, teams that still are and aren't in that has kind of been key for them is swapping when their wings play or which ones of them play and having depth of those positions has just been so valuable for these teams doing well in the postseason. The Celtics have had a million guys in that size range for four or five years now and that's been a big part of their success that he'd have a bunch of them too, right? Like that, That absolutely is the priority for the Pacers in any path that they choose to be, right? If they decide to stay a little younger for one more year and kind of Keep tooling and then go for it the following year. They still need to use the year to get some wings, get some size at the three and four spots, right? If they go for it a little more this year and, you know, chase that 45 win threshold they were talking about, 50 win threshold, go to make the playoffs again, they absolutely need guys at those positions who can impact the game and be in their rotation and be a force in the postseason. Like they have a few names, but they need way more. I think the playoffs have kind of emphasized that, if anything, to me. And no matter what. It's directional path they choose this summer that that has to be their number one and number two maybe number three goal is getting some depth of that forward spot
0: by the way um, Tony East is our guest on the Paleo Zickers Hotline Kevin they are officially now under rain delay at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway no no shocking news there but want to let that be known Tony before we let you go um, to kind of put a bow tie on this aspect of it the Pacers have obviously more than just the pick that they will find out tonight where it is in the upcoming NBA draft But would you agree with the fact that Kevin Pritchard's been pretty transparent about the fact it's unlikely that they will use all of their picks this year for assets that they're going to hold on to long-term?
3: Correct. Yeah, I think that's really noteworthy. Um, But I think the number game kind of points it out anyway. So good on him for kind of sharing that. Yeah, they only have three available roster spots as it stands. They only have three free agents and they have five draft picks, right? Like that. Just that's not possible to without having to cut someone when the season starts or just something that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, they're definitely going to be a, a, a trade-active team, I would say, close to the draft or right after the draft because they just can't bring in that many guys. And if they truly do want to be good, like Halliburton talked about, McConnell talks about it, Pritchard talked about it, Rick Carlisle talked about it. You, young guys don't help with that, right? So moving those assets for stuff that helps you maybe a little more in the short term or uh, – kicking it down the road so you have more ammo for a star trade, whatever their path may be to being competitive soon, there's no way they're picking five guys in this draft. So I think they're going to be a pretty active team in terms of either moving around in the draft or moving up, whatever it takes to consolidate that stuff. And I don't know if that'll impact their top pick or not, but either way, uh, Kevin Pritchard said it at least twice. And uh, I think that's something to watch the rest of the summer.
1: All right, Tony, one final time tonight to watch for. And give us the math again. I know you did this a few weeks back. Uh, there's 68 combinations the Pacers have of the 1,001 in there.
3: That's exactly right. Yep, 6.8% chance that they move up to one, about a 29.3%, 29.4% chance they move up to the top four. At all, the reference I used last night talking about it, picture a Jalen Smith three from last season. The chance that it went in, a little bit better chance that they move up than a hmm. Jalen Smith three going down this past
1: season. I I like that. <laughs> I like that analogy there. And cheer for the Rockets, right? Yeah, the the Spurs, Spurs above the Rockets. Spurs, Spurs above, above the Rockets. Rockets. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thank you for clarifying that, that. That would be the Pacers' dream. Uh, there you go. That's the status tonight for the Pacers, and he will be there covering it all. Tony, safe travels up there, man, and I appreciate the time.
3: Of course, whole morning show in French tomorrow if they win. <laughs> hey, wee wee
0: wee That's right. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> Thanks,
1: guys. Tony East, right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Like Jake, I know we joke, and it is seven percent, but it is kind of crazy to think about what if. Talk to you,
0: later. you know, oh, uh, no doubt. Now, how far could we do the show in French?
1: Well, that probably not longer than seven hundred one and thirty seconds. Uh, we might need Grosjean and Paginot to call in, I guess, to help us on that end but
0: i did not know this if you were okay let me ask you this if you walked into an establishment in france at for dinner you walk into dinner and you want to greet the maitre d and you you want to do it in french what would you say i'm kevin in french though what's the french word that you know for hello i i I don't we we what does that mean bonjour are you not familiar with bonjour? I thought that was by. No. So bonjour, I did not know this. When I was in France and I said bonjour and people are like looking at me crazy, bonjour is basically good morning. So after like this time of day, basically from then on, you say bonsoir. Huh. So there's my friend. That, that That is the extent of my knowledge of French.
1: I, I struggle mightily with that. I took Spanish and... After- Je m'appelle
4: Claude. What's that? Je m'appelle Claude my name is
1: claude oh wow mark do you have some french background no i just know that why, why claude
0: i don't know how about well, that sounds like a french name okay how about um jaime what jaime la shannon this is shannon you love no. shannon thank you oh kevin thank you yes okay. that is correct i, I think that's right <laughs> i don't know but i knew that bonsoir is good day as opposed to good morning
1: yeah, I always feel like when people are speaking French, I'm like, gosh, they are just exposing me well, like none other After right now. you
0: took Spanish, it was hard to learn French, right? Because there's some well, similarities I never and I tried was, to learn French. Yeah, I mean... I had to learn two foreign languages in college. I took Spanish, and then for my second foreign language, I asked, what's the easiest foreign language available? And they said Bambara, which is an African clicking language. And that was great, except for that three weeks into it, the graduate assistant, or the graduate student that was teaching it got deported. So then they shut down the, the class, and then I said, what's the second easiest language? And they said Swahili, so I took that. And my name in Swahili was Buanam Kubwa. You guys can call me that anytime you'd like. I will I will answer to it. Bwannam Kubwa. Go ahead, Mark. Try. Bonum What? W- Bwannam. Bwannam. Kubwa. Kubwa. Yeah, that's right. Like a B sound? Bwannam? Bwannam. B-W-A-N-A-M-K-U-B-W-A. Bwannam Kubwa was my name. i called you other things that... You haven't responded Feel to either. Feel free to call me Mkubwa, Uh LA Nothing going time. on at the track right now. Rain delay at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. As a matter of fact, that update can begin our morning check down. The morning check down. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Mark says a quick check down, so I will tell you this. In the National Hockey League, last night Dallas eliminated Seattle. That means that there are four teams left. That would be Carolina, that would be Florida, that would be Dallas, and that would be Las Vegas in Major League Baseball. Cardinals yesterday beat the Brewers 18-1. Reds on the short end against the Rockies 9-8. It was the Cubs losing, excuse me, Astros over the Cubs 6-4. <laughs> I don't even know why we're doing mayonnaise. And uh, cute fella on the short end to the Angels 9-5. Mention the Reds, that's why. <laughs>
1: (laughs) Uh, Tonight, Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals. It'll be the Nuggets and the Lakers. Denver favored by 6.5 in that one. That tip is at 8.30, so that'll follow the lottery. Lottery at 8 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, Game 1 out west will be uh, on ESPN at 8.30. Tomorrow night on TNT will be Game 1 of the Celtics and the Heat. Saw an early line. I think Celtics by 8. So you've got some pretty big spreads here in Game 1 of these respective a series here yeah eight and a half celtics over the heat six and a half nuggets over the lakers and jake um will they change the schedule you think based off today today is kind of a jumbled schedule over there in ims like do you really need two hours for rc enerson to just turn laps by himself? I, I don't
0: think they'll change the schedule actually i think they'll probably just maintain status quo i do think that there's a chance they're going to get cars out on the track later today this afternoon
1: three to six was supposed to be all 34 out there
0: and i think that's a possibility
1: Again, gates open now moving forward the rest of the week, 10 a.m., noon to 6, each of the next three days. We'll have track updates every hour here on The Fan, and we are giving away a pair of 500 tickets every single show, every single day this week. And our turn at that comes next. Pop quiz time and a pair of tickets to the 500, 239 1070. Mark, we got what? Felix Rosenquist tomorrow, Paolo Ward, and Alexander Rossi yeah. to round out the mm-hmm. week. Uh, Tony Cannon coming up in about 10 minutes, if you missed that earlier. Tremendous with him. A pair of tickets to the 500 we are giving away with this pop quiz. Jake, number one through 10?
0: Uh, we'll go eight. with number six.
1: Six is who, Mark? Ben. Ben, what's up? Hey, how's it going? I seem to recall a Ben Hanley in the 500. Is that right, Jake? Oh, that is yep. correct. Yep. Any other Ben? Uh, Benjamin Peterson, right, this year? Correct. Okay. Uh, ben, are you a frequent 500 attendee?
3: Absolutely. I'm in Speedway looking at the track right now, waiting for the rain to stop. Look at
1: you. What's your favorite Speedway establishment?
0: Ooh, Non-IMS.
1: Uh, I was thinking more restaurant, drink base. Let's,
0: let's go Brozini's Pizzeria. Ooh. Good one. Nice. So, Ben, when you say you're in Speedway, you mean you happen to be like in the town of Speedway or you're inside the confines of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway?
3: I live just outside the confines of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway.
0: How much money do you get on a a race weekend for parking in your yard? Uh, Last year, I think I pulled about $500. What do you
1: charge, if you don't
0: mind me asking? Uh,
3: I found that the best way is to not set a price and just ask for donations.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Teach your business market establishes course. itself. You got you got a you got a spare bedroom because I, I start freaking out every year about not getting in on time, and maybe I could just throw you some money and stay at your place. Definitely got a, at least a couch at this point for you, <laughs> and a litter box for Boo. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Bring Boo. He'd get along with my dog, but you know we'd work it out. Okay. Yeah. Boo's cool.
1: Boo. Congr- yeah. or, <laughs> Boo. Ben. Congrats on the pair of five hundred tickets. Uh, Jake, throw number one out.
0: All right, hang on just a second. Well, first I got to pull it up. So you go ahead with question number one. Well, I'm so prepared. Ben,
1: story of my life here. Um, <laughs> right. All right, number one, which of the following teams is not in the final four of the Stanley Cup playoffs? A, the Tampa Bay Lightning. B, the Dallas Stars. C, the Florida Panthers. D, the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, D. Sure about that?
0: Ooh, no. You're hoping what, what, to not see this team today either. Lightning Stars, Panthers, or Knights? Lightning. Okay. Uh, Question number two. Aaron Judge hit a pair of home runs last night as the Yankees beat Toronto in Toronto. His 30th career multi-home run game for the Yankees that breaks a tie for fifth most in franchise history. Who did he move past last night? Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig, A-Rod, or Mickey Mantle? A-Rod. Ooh, nice. Go ahead. Go ahead. All
1: right, number three here, Ben. Which steroid user, Chicago whoa, Cub, whoa. Uh, was the first to hit two home runs in the same inning? A, Hack Wilson. B, Sammy Sosa. They couldn't get the Hack Wilson. They just couldn't get the needle in. B, Sammy Sosa. C, Ernie Banks. Or D, Hank Sauer.
0: Let's go Sosa. Okay, question number four. Are
1: you going
3: being yeah, a Reds fan? Are you gonna, gonna going abandon
0: following this team? Shohei Otani reached a base, uh, reached base five times, and hit a go-ahead three-home, three-run home run in the fourth inning as the Angels beat the Orioles. Otani picked up the win to improve to five and one this season. Who is the last pitcher to reach uh, reach base five times in a start? Last pitcher to reach base from the batting standpoint five times in a start? Michael Lorenzen, Mike Hampton, Bob Gibson, or Mel Stottlemyre? Two.
3: Uh, Let's let's go with Bob Gibson
1: All right, Ben to round it out Number five here Practice hopefully is going to get underway today At some point for the 107th running Of the Indianapolis 500 Who turned the fastest lap in practice Not quals last year The fastest lap in practice For last year's 500 Was it A. Scott Dixon B. Ed Carpenter C. Takuma Sato D. Alexander Rossi
0: That
1: was quick and confident
0: Sato with Ganassi now, Jake? Correct. Correct, Amundo. Uh, in the card that uh, Marcus Armstrong runs the rest of the year. Tampa Bay Lightning was the answer for question yeah. number one because Dallas, Florida, <laughs> Las Vegas, and the Carolina Hurricanes are all in the NHL playoffs still. Uh, A Rod was correct for question yeah, number two. Correct. Steroid
1: user Sosa for number three. There. He looks like the putting on the reds fella now. By the way, yeah, I'm never he sure. Looks
4: pep- he looks like Pepto Bismol.
1: Never sure He's what what, what type of pigment that's gonna be when he shows up? Uh, the Otani stat line is just a. When you were reading the first sentence, it's just wild to uh, even say. It was like hard to sit there and read it all out, right? Reach base five times, hit a go ahead three run homer out of the stadium. By the way, and also was the winning pitcher. Uh, but the correct answer, though, the last pitcher to reach base five times in a start, he guessed Bob Gibson. The answer, Jake? Mel
0: Stottlemyre. <laughs> Was the answer for question number
1: five? On with JMV yesterday, and on with us next week, Mark. Yep. Yeah, next week. So again, we've got Felix Pato, Rossi to close out the week here. Next week, tentatively, Mark will power Connor Daly,
0: mm-hmm. Ed Carpenter. Yep. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Maybe pole sitter.
1: Hopefully, to add a few more. Stantino uh, Ferrucci's in the
4: mix, I think, and stuff. So we got a, we got a couple. A f- couple asking for there. Graham
1: Ray Hall as well so we'll try to fill out next week's lineup as well tony kanan in 5 minutes here
0: kevin. coming out of turn 4 here on a tuesday kevin and inquiry we began the program this morning bright and early 7:15 tony kanan joined us and tony kanan a known morning workout warrior so naturally the first question for tk was what the heck time did you get up this morning
2: uh 4:45 and I was on my bike at on a stationary bike because it's raining uh, at five AM. I usually this month I know you guys probably knows this, but we uh we ride uh at the track. They let us Doug Bowls let us ride at the speedway, so but today it was it was a wash. And by that you mean you riding your bike around the oval? Yes, in the morning, yeah. So which is funny, right? Because we're doing, what, 22 miles an hour in the morning and then 230 in the afternoon, so it's quite cool. <laughs>
0: okay, here's oh, um. <laughs> here's the dumbest question of all time, Tony. When you ride your bike around that track, can you learn anything about it? I mean, you've obviously turned millions well, of laps out there. Yeah, you
2: know, it's like, actually, that's not a stupid question because I have to say that's, you know, uh, on the road courses and some of the ovals, we do track walks because what happens is, Year after year, something will change. A bump will be there because of weather. Somebody made a, a repair in the asphalt. So it, I actually do, to be honest. Uh, there are a couple of things, especially during the week that, you know, before we first run, um, I can see, oh, that that, that is a bump in turn three that has been there for decades. And is it still there? And then you find, like, some cracks that you're like, oh, my gosh, I could feel that maybe if, you know. So, yes, definitely, I do definitely learn. A little bit. I'm not saying, you know, it's essential, will be crucial to uh, to do it. But, uh, you know, as I'm there, I'm obviously uh, I try to learn something.
1: Tony, um, if you finished third last year, um, I, I think it kind of gets lost a little bit in the shuffle. I mean, certainly Marcus Erickson, Pato Ward were, you know, right there back and forth. If that race would have gone maybe another lap, you definitely would have been in the mix. Um, if you had finished 20th last year, would you be here for one more run?
2: well here's the thing right what people don't realize is i think uh, to answer your question i don't think so but it's not because of me only i was fine you know once i hop out of that car um, last year that you know i already had announced my retirement three years two years prior to that um and then jimmy johnson came with you know the uh the invitation but i think I wouldn't have read the ride. And, and, you know, obviously it was such a good run. And, you know, you're only as good as your last race. And I think people uh, realize, no, Zach realized, hold on, we have a shot here. I mean, if you think about it, McLaren this year, we have the second, third, fourth, and fifth-place finish finish drivers racing for his team, you know, from last year's results. So, but to answer your question, I don't think so, but not because... Of me, it was because of you know I wouldn't get a ride that I wanted, and I don't want to be in the grid with a, a team that is. I'm not saying not going to have a chance, but you guys know what I mean. Is like sure. with a, a smaller team just to be a number. I mean that, that I've done that. <laughs> I mean I don't think I've never done that, and then I never will. So yeah, sorry if you guys hear me. I'm driving my McLaren to the track, so if it's noisy. <laughs> I'm in the car. That's the
0: beauty of the McLaren. It's not, right? That thing's just smooth as can be, Tony. That's that's probably why you're in one, right? Um, right. Hey, let me ask you this. So, to, to, to ask the obvious here, and maybe up front as opposed to at the end of the interview, but so let's say you do run really strong. And I think mm-hmm. that there is the, you know, it is presumed that the ride that you currently have for Aero McLaren, maybe you're keeping that seat warm for somebody... Next year that we thought might be in it this year, but that didn't happen. Right. If that doesn't come to fruition as well, and you run again in the top three, and you think about the fact that, like, you know, I, I think it was your dad that said to you once, like, keep racing, you know, like, right. like keep pursuing. Does your dad's right. voice come back to you and say, Tony, keep going?
2: Um, I mean, that's the question that everybody's asking, right? And then and, and actually. Half of the grid of my friends there as a driver, all the drivers say, oh, you're coming back. But right now, I'm in peace with my decision. And then somebody says, well, what about if you win? I mean, it's obvious that we announced Kyle Larson uh, in the car that I'm driving this year, next year. That's official. So um, I have a relationship with the team that is going to go beyond this 500. So... I find it really hard because if it's not with McLaren, I'm not going to be able to do it anyway. So I would say even if I win, it'll be nice to grab the mic and drop it right there on the podium, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and just uh, I- I'm really looking forward to the next chapter of of my career, which is I'll still be involved in racing. And, and guys, don't don't take don't take me wrong. I'm not retiring. I'm retiring from IndyCar. You guys know I still do a lot of. Uh, the SRX races with Tony Stewart, I'm still doing the stock car in Brazil. So that's 12 races a year that I go down there. Uh, I'm not just – people have this perception that on May 29th, I'm going to be in the beach drinking margarita, and then that's it. And I'm still coming to a lot of the IndyCar races with Aaron McLaren. So it's uh, it's not a, really every a retirement.
0: Which of those drivers – Tony Cannon is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. If you're going to be a driving coach, if you're going to be a mentor next year – you know, you've got Pato Award, Felix Rosenquist, Alexander Rossi is now with that team. The chance Pelot is going to be there. Kyle Larson, as you mentioned. Which of those drivers do you most see a young Tony Kanan in? Uh,
2: well, Rossi is very mature already, so I can't really say that. Uh, I would say the closest will be Pato right now as a full time. Uh, Kyle Larson was my teammate in Daytona when we won the 24 hours. Uh, but I haven't really spent much time. But Pato definitely, in, in every way, I mean, I, I, I see how young he is. He talks about, man, I want to buy this car. You know, the typical things that, that I've done with Dan Weldon my entire life. I mean, we, we bought hot cars. We we went on vacations uh, consist, constantly on the weekends off uh, on a boat. And then he's doing all that. And the driving, I mean, the the talent that this kid has, it's it's unbelievable. So... I would I would say Pato um, for sure. Alex uh, Rossi is very mature. Palou I, was my teammate. It's, it's in another, another maturity level, uh, in my opinion. So I mean, I'll pick I'll pick the, the 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 duck as we call him. You know, if you guys don't know, but Pato in Spanish and Portuguese means duck.
0: <laughs> really? Well, he's like a duck to yeah. water when it comes to getting in a race car. There's no doubt about that. <laughs>
2: for sure, <laughs> Tony.
1: I I, I want to stay there for just a second. Last night, my wife and I were watching the Hundred Days to Indy, and you know, you you walk on Pato over to your house. I uh, I don't know when that was taped. I assume some point earlier this year, and it was it was a really cool segment. Um, and, and at one point, you said something to the effect of. You know his pure raw talent is really you know right up there with anybody in the series and and maybe kind of 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 all time. So when you see Pato's pure raw talent, what exactly do you mean by that like what is it from a gift standpoint that he has?
2: Um, he is able to fix some of uh, the deficiencies of a race car with his talent, which is really good but could be really bad. it could be his worst enemy because sometimes the car is not good enough, and he will still make it fast, which, you know, it's, it's a really rare talent to have. But then sometimes you're making, you know, the engineer's life a little bit easier because you're covering with your talent, but the car is not really that good, so you need to push the team to it. What I'm saying, basically, is you give, you give this kid a car with three wheels, he will still be able to drive fast. And then I've seen throughout my career just a few few guys like that. And then, and basically, that's what I mean. I mean, you just say, Pato, here, this is the car. We can't touch the car. He will figure out a way to go fast, regardless of how good or bad the setup is. Tony, I-
0: Tony Kanaan is our guest. I I know that we have talked about this before, but for those listening who have not heard you explain this, I wanted to revisit it. You're a fascinating case to me, Tony Kanaan, because you know i recall the first year that you ran here driving for monon and I, I think the storyline about you at that time was the fact that you hadn't changed your underwear in like two months because it was bad luck or something like that like we, we didn't know as much about tony canaan right and then it's like people in the coke line. that's right as the years went by you just became really the people's champion and 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 everybody in that place before you moved here you're living in Miami you're a native of Brazil and yet there was this warmth about the fact that Tony Kanon represented like 300,000 people that all had dreams of what that place meant to them and you just embodied that what is it about the city of Indianapolis where you now live where you drive every day to the speedway you know on on the near west side of Indianapolis was there a definitive moment where you realized this is now home to me? My mom might be in Brazil, my family's in Brazil, but this is my home.
2: I mean, guys, look, um, this place made me, this this place made Tony Cannon right? I mean, if you guys go to the trek, you just said it. Uh, but then let's think about this. I met my wife here. My wife is from here. So my immediate family, not on my, you know, on my side, but on my wife's side, they all live here. So it was just like, it it was a perfect combination of everything. This is a better city to to raise my kids than Miami. I mean, people here are, have all the principles that I believe. I want my kids to have references growing up, you know, people are polite, uh, completely different than, Miami is more of an international city than anything else. the city, the way the city makes me feel. I mean, it's just it was a, it was a no-brainer, really. I mean, Lori and I uh, met here exactly this month, 16 years ago, and 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 we've been together ever since. We have four kids, and and and
0: I mean, it, it, it all
2: makes it all made sense, and and I love this place. I mean, if you talk to me in January, I might not too big of a fan of the winter, but that's that's it's just part of it you know but I love the city I mean I think I I really don't know the answer why they embrace me so well but I I love it and then I try to give it back to the city to the fans every day pretty much I mean uh, there is not a single day here that they don't make me feel good they don't make me feel wanted they don't make me feel that they appreciate what I've done for the Speedway and and, and for them so uh, it's a pretty good feeling
0: the relationship that you have shared over the course of your, I guess, from boyhood to now, both in and out of a race car, with Elio Castroneves, Tony, I believe, has had ebb and flow. I mean, at times maybe it's been warmer than others. It's always been competitive. Yeah. Um, as the two of you both start to enter the or are in the twilight of your respective careers, do you keep an eye on what Elio is doing, and if he, like in other words, will will his decision to continue to race? be based upon whether or not you are and vice versa do you guys discuss those things
2: uh we talk about it a lot i mean we're i mean we were really close when we we're young and we, we went a couple of years that we didn't even speak and now we're the closest ever i mean you're talking about a 40 years of friendship and competitiveness but no i mean I, like he's like are you crazy why are you retiring you know i mean i'm still i mean he's still going to go try to go for five as long as they give him a car and i think he should i i have different goals right now i think um i'm okay with 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 my decision um but yeah we do talk i mean we are reference references for each other but it, it, we we talk about different businesses we're talking about what can we do together in the future we even talk about hey should we Maybe think about, in the future, owning a team together and and Canan Castro-Neves racing. I mean, there's plenty of plans. None of them are official or even close because we're still quite busy doing stuff. But, like, you never know. But, no, I think Elio is going to try to go for five, you know, for as many many years as people will give it to him. It will be, you know, I'm I'm sure he's going to, come back next year and then and if somebody gives him a car day after that he, he, he will until I don't see alio actually doing what I did and say hey uh, this is it for me I think that is just gonna say bye and you know like well I keep you know that's it I, I couldn't find a ride and I'm not racing but uh, yeah we we actually talk quite a bit
1: one and only Tony Canon he is with us right now en route to the track. Mother Nature, hopefully will co- cooperate and the drivers can get out there. But I guess the first official practice day here for the Indianapolis 500 coming up a week from Sunday. Tony, um, this is nothing as ceremonial, I-, I feel like, about this last race for you in the sense of you're not there just to turn 200 laps, take your 23rd place finish and move on. I mean, you've got a legit chance to win this race. So I'm curious, that balance from like, I mean, aren't you going to be super emotional during driver introductions, even on the parade laps, or like, have you even thought about what your emotions will be like when you do take that, you know, green flag for the last time?
2: it's been happening here and there in different days already. You know what I mean? Like, I got, I had an autograph session last weekend, uh, and people who had a table on the side which i didn't even know about uh people were writing me notes and i got yesterday like 300 plus notes from people that they were there and they would get my autograph and i saw them in a table but i didn't know what it was and i didn't make a big deal out of it and and they all handed it to me yesterday so i cried like crazy reading stuff and then i cried because some of the stories are people that I either helped kids that I gave them hats on the difficult time and so on, or people they are just fans. So driver's intro for me, I think it's going to be the hardest a hundred percent. I think you guys know, Jake knows how, how this place is. And I'm not trying to brag of anything, but I think hopefully they will just behave the way they did in the past. And they don't prolong the jeers because then I'm going to cry like crazy. I mean, race, that moment it's emotional enough even if you're not retiring even if you're not it's just like your nerves are up there you're ready to go and uh, yeah it's going to be tough uh, I'm probably going to you know cry a bit here and there but it, it's part of it I, I, am I ready? I have no idea because I, I I, don't think you can predict what your emotional emotions or what people are going to try to make you feel good but uh, it's all part of it. I'm going to try to enjoy as much as I can. And uh, if you guys see me crying, it's, then it's just, I'm going to become a meme and uh, people are going to have fun of me. But that's just one more thing.
0: <laughs> Tony, if I'm not mistaken, Tony Kanan is our guest. Um, when you talk about the lives you touched or the lives that touched you in your racing career, I remember at the time this story being well known. I don't know how many people remember it. But if, but if I'm going off memory here when you won the Indianapolis 500 you had met i think it was you right that had met like maybe an ill child that gave you a good yeah, luck charm Andrea, and you
2: Andrea that was the other way around right so my mom had given me a good luck charm when i was 8 years old uh to actually protect me you know moms to protect me when i was racing so and i used to wear around my neck and then i mean you talk about 20 plus years later uh, it wouldn't fit on my neck anymore, so I was always wearing it in my pocket. And one, you know, during the month of May, we always go do some hospital visits here at Riley. And anyway, I had it in my pocket that day because I had left the track. I I was always I always wore it on my suit on the pocket of my suit. And that day, I left the track in a hurry. The tra- the suit was going to uh to to the cleaner, so I put that in my pocket. And this girl, she was like f- fifteen or sixteen, if I'm not mistaken, and um he was in a coma. She was, she just had a, uh, a brain aneurysm and then she was going to go to surgery the next day. And we didn't know if she was going to survive or not. And then I, I told her mom, I said, listen, I don't know if you believe this. And I told her the story about the good luck charm and she had it. And then, so that year in 13, fast forward five or six years, we lost contact. We didn't talk. She sent me a letter uh, on an envelope with the good luck charm. Say, hey, Tony, I've been watching all these years and you've been trying to win the Indy 500. This is your year. Here, put that in your pocket. This is this is your year and that's exactly what happened and if you guys watched the end of that race, when I got out of the car, I pulled that out and I showed it. So, uh, pretty cool story. Do you still have it? Yeah, so basically, you can imagine how popular that thing became because now, even, granted, people that had the loved ones, they were sick. They like this thing makes miracles. So everybody was asking. <laughs> right. To. So I call Andrea again. I said, Hey, what do you want me to do? She said, "Hey, not my responsibility. You gave it to me. I give it back to you. So you pass it on to whoever. So we agreed that it has to be natural. It had to be natural and we needed to give it to whatever, whoever I thought at the time um, would deserve. And what I did was uh, when Lauren was on her way to the hospital to deliver our first kid, Deco, I gave it to her to protect her and my son, and she has it, and now she, it's her responsibility to pass it on whenever she feels like it. Hmm.
0: Tony, in conclusion, do you find, because I know a little bit, I mean, it's not like I'm intimately around it, obviously, But I know what, especially in talking to Lauren, I know what fatherhood means to you. And you've been very open about what your father meant to you before your father passed when you were a boy. Do you find more inspiration today in your father or in being a father?
2: Uh, Well, I have to say being a father because unfortunately, I only spent 13 years with with my dad right so it was really short and my oldest kid is 16 so i'll say being a father and it's, it's such a big responsibility um you know trying to to set the perfect example or the right example right the right morale and then the way that i want my kids to be when when they grow up so uh, i enjoy a lot being a father i mean i have four kids i better enjoy <laughs> being a father but uh, yeah I, I love being a dad
1: tony will end with this and well the full tony canada interview you can find that up on the podcast um jake no track activity so far correct
0: they are still under a rain delay at the speedway but keep in mind there's a practice session in all skate as they call it from three until six typically it takes oh i don't know two and a half or so hours to drive the track depending on conditions so still a chance to get it in today
1: Um, We will be loaded tomorrow. Felix Rosenquist is going to join us. Thank you again to Tony Kanaan and Tony East. Pacers lottery tonight. Talk to you.